Today is Thursday, June 1st, 2023, and you're listening to the Ask a Christian podcast. I'm your host, Nate. Today we talk about the informal worldview confusion fallacy. Then we move on to taxonomy and kinds related to Noah and the ark and how many animals were on this boat, or was it a ship? That's the bigger controversy. Then we talk about presuppositional apologetics. Is it necessarily a good idea to share the message of Christ that way, which really isn't the message of Christ until you talk like six or seven hours? Anyway, um, I, I, I mean, as a Christian who believes this stuff, I, I agree with presuppositional apologetics, what it says, but I've, I have not found it very useful as a tool in our toolbox, as it were, to lead people to Christ. Um, if anyone else has, I would love to hear from you. Please join us. Be a guest on the podcast. Um, but I, I tried. You'll see, I try really hard. Um, I can get a little bit of people who are favorable for sharing it, but but not a lot. Not not enough of someone that's like, yes, this is the way. Um, so if you're such a person or know someone, put us in touch with them. I'd love to hear it. Anyways, we talk about that. Um, I think personally it's easier and better to just preach the cross of Christ, Christ crucified, rather uh, than worrying about worldviews. Um, anyways, so we'll talk about it. Um, and then we are chemicals with a consciousness. People are like, well, why do you feel good and bad? How do you know what that means if you don't have God? You, you just have your chemicals. Well, you have a consciousness too. Where do you think that came from? They like, prove it's God. I'm like, prove it's not. Like, no one's trying to win a medal. Like, forget the burden of proof. It's just like, a, well, if it is, this should give you something to think about. That's all. Um, and it should give you something to think about. Um, and then <laughs> the Christians get to sit back and enjoy their popcorn and entertainment for a while, while a Christian and Muslim battle it out in the Ask a Christian podcast. So it is entertainment for the friends and family. Um, <laughs> take care. Enjoy. Uh, share the podcast links on social media. I would be super appreciative of that. And check out the Ask a Christian book on Amazon, free with a Kindle subscription. If not, consider it supporting the podcast. You're doing God's work. And uh, check out the Ask a Christian store, grab a t-shirt, support the broadcast. And you can also click on the donate link to fund this operation and keep us going. Stuff costs money, unfortunately. So, um, help us share the gospel to people online and on the internet all around the world. Um, We'll see you later. Enjoy this. Take care. Goodbye. I won't go super deep into that, but I've been, for my PhD, I've been revisiting... um, some of the uh, less commonly understood or applied fallacies that, you know, we, we talk about a conversation like, you know, everybody's probably at this point heard, especially on Clubhouse, oh, the straw man fallacy, right? Or false equivocation, people have, you know, or a, um, a, a special pleading or something like that. They've heard those different kinds of uh, jabs at the way people are formulating their arguments. Oh, you can't prove a negative, that kind of stuff. Um, but I've been looking at some of the uh, less cited ones, and I came across one called worldview confusion. It's a type of exegetical fallacy. Oh, interesting. Um, worldview confusion. Uh, and, and I'm like, you know what? This is the name for a crap ton of what I see, specifically in like the um, nominative Christian communities and how they interpret the Bible. They are injecting a modern worldview as opposed to, as Chris would say, you know, focusing on authorial intent and, and those kinds of things, which I'm absolutely in agreement with. And one one of those things that I think definitely colors people's interpretation of Scripture is democracy. Like the fact, especially for the Western world, um, the fact that we process our environment from a democratic 
political lens ish, right? Not Democratic Party, obviously, but um, because you know there's plenty of people who who don't ascribe to that. But um, just democracy in general, or a democratic republic um, in general, and we read that into the Bible, and that was um, that wasn't one of the examples that was given in the text in the uh, in the textbook uh, that I flipped open from yesteryear. But um, it's definitely something that I saw because the example that a person gave was um, someone reading in their pantheist worldview into scripture. And I'm like, how in the world do you do that? And in one of the scriptures, um, this person, he, um, what's his name? So the, so the book is uh, D.A. Carson's Exegetical Fallacies. If anybody ever wants to grab a copy, it's on Amazon. D.A. Carson exegetical fallacy um and the number six exegetical fallacy he's talking about a guy named swami Satchitananda, i think and he interprets matthew 5 8 which is blessed are the pure of heart for they shall see god he reinterprets that to mean blessed are those who purify their consciences for they shall see themselves as god okay. i'm like wow i'm like well that's super extreme but then I thought, okay, are there less extreme versions? This is, you know, extreme, necessarily extreme for a textbook to prove the point of what the fallacy is. But it, are there less extreme versions where maybe we do this, especially as, you know, more mainstream Christians? And I'm like, oh, for sure. When we're talking about, like, church function and how the church is supposed to, like, interact or we're talking about our relationship with God or the Holy Spirit or those other kinds of things, we absolutely throw in some de- democratic republic worldview into our interpretation of scripture. I just wanted to throw it out there, see what people thought about that. I think that's good. I have a couple of questions first. Uh, oh, Dr. Josh left. He was wondering what you're getting your PhD in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so my PhD is systematic theology from Clark Summit University in uh, Clark Summit, Pennsylvania. Um, so I'm doing uh, my PhD there, systematic theology. I'll probably have some sort of focus on Harmartiology, because that's been a a central focus for me in the last few years. That's what I wrote two of my books on. Um, And so I will probably dive deeper into that uh, to explore it more uh, systematically. Uh, Most of what I'm looking at is biblically with a hint of philosophy. Um, But I want to expand that a little bit. Very nice. And while we're on books, check out that nice... Check out that nice shiny link to the Ask a Christian book at the top pinned link. Read it for free if you have uh, Kindle Unlimited. <laughs> Shameless plug. So, <laughs> nice. um, let's, let's see. Uh, let's see. I'll have to remember Dr. Josh if he comes back to let him know that's what you're getting your PhD in. He, he was wearing a bow tie in his picture. I don't know if we can trust guys with bow ties. But, uh, you know, I mean, you know, worldview confusion fallacy, I've never heard it put that way. Uh, I, I mean, I think we operate like that a lot, but I've never heard that term. Um, and as soon as you said wor- worldview, I every time I hear worldview, my mind immediately goes. It's like pulled and dragged to the precept argument, um, because you know, I mean, that is people's worldview, right? They're, I mean, it's like worldviews, worldviews, worldview. It's circular. It doesn't make it wrong. Um, a- anyway, so that's where I went. But then you talked about to a lesser degree, like you know, Christians and how they see doctrine and stuff like that. And I think that's good. So while it's not you know a formally recognized fallacy, um, it definitely fits the bill. Um, 
Yes. And, and it's hilarious, right? Because, you know, lots of times people want to say like the theist or the people that believe in superstitious fairy tales and then fight tooth and nail against these, quote, fairy tales as if God was standing right in front of them and they're like telling him off so super bad. It's like, OK, well, you know, you're very, very good at compartmentalizing or, you know, pulling up this God concept that you don't think really exists. Uh, this God doesn't really exist. And then giving him a piece of your mind or maybe me thinks you believe a little more than you think you say. Um, anyways, so that that's my thought. Um, is that some kind of fallacy? I don't know, but they sure argue against God like that he's real and they hate him. Um, otherwise, they're just really, really good at arguing against the God concept. Um, maybe they should check into a profession that would make them a few bucks doing that. But no one's immune is the point I'm trying to get at. And welcome, Steph, and everyone else. Um, so when they act like, you know, oh, Christians don't don't want to follow evidence or blah, blah, blah. But then they have like you're talking about this worldview fall confusion fallacy, how, you know, it's based on antidotes and it's not based on empiricism or empirical evidence or any of this stuff that they they want to promote. There's no peer reviewed paperwork for how they view their world. It's subjective and it's interpreted by them. And then they try to use that as a whole argument. And then they try to like scramble and pull in other antidotes, um, largely not saying everyone does that, but a lot of the time that's where the discussions at least start. So it's built almost like someone is building their argument on a house of, uh, you know, like a house of sand. Um, just saying. So um, I think that's a good point you bring up. I'm going to remember that worldview confusion fallacy. Anyone else have anything to say about that? Rich, you came up. Did you want to speak about this or anything else? Oh, uh, yeah, I just need a moment. I'd like to thank you okay. for having me on stage. This is uh, one of the first days I've been able to get on stage this early, and I just hope everyone's having a good morning. Uh, yeah, so far, so good. Let us know when you are ready to speak. And, yeah, Marquis, so you uh, have a follow-up about that? I think that's a good point. No, yeah, I was going to say that's definitely true. Um, and because – so even, even with that, like, um, you'll see people – which I think is, is I've, I've, I've seen this pulled out in conversations. And I've always thought it's interesting. It's not necessarily a method I've employed, but in certain conversations when it's like, well, if God was really good, how could he do this? And it's like, you are totally unaware of the way in which your very view and perspective of morality is influenced by the Christian God. You say you don't believe in. You literally have to pull on Things established by the presence of Christianity in our Western modern worldview to indict God, right? So it, it ends up being very confounding um, because you'll acknowledge that there's good in the world. You'll acknowledge that there's evil in the world, but you don't necessarily acknowledge a source for either good or evil. But you will also claim that things don't spontaneously burst into existence that either they are brought into existence by a specific action or they've always existed or they don't exist. So either good has always existed or it's brought into being by some specific action or it doesn't exist. And it's like, well, you don't want to ascribe to either of those, but you won't offer any other solution. But then when you, when you question the goodness of God by, you know, the genocide of a, a group of people or, you know, whatever they want to indict God about in scripture, you're pulling from even the convoluted versions of your worldview that is influenced by that God. It's, it, it ends up being, you know, very, uh, there's a lot of different ways that you can apply this particular fallacy. Um, because in all of those, you're viewing, you're viewing scripture from 
a worldview that's influenced by scripture but rejects the ultimate conclusion scripture makes. And uh, oh, uh, hey, serendipity, Josh. Yeah, welcome back. Uh, he said he's getting his PhD in philosophy and then some other stuff, apostle, so we don't have to revisit this. Maybe you can just type in chat to him what all the sub stuff you're going to get in, but it was like around philosophy. Uh, serendipity, welcome. Do you have anything to say on the light-hearted subject of philosophy? <laughs> no. Good morning. <laughs> I'm still catching up. Oh, and Josh, I also said I don't know if we can trust guys that wear bow ties. <laughs> All right. Dog, get out of there, dog. All right, Marquise. Um, I forgot, do you teach at a university or what, where do you teach? If you're still speaking. All right, brother, what do you think about all this? I like to talk a little bit about philosophy. I'm not educated in it, but I can recognize uh, a, a good philosophy whenever I hear it. And I like what I heard. I mean, I like, I like, you know, skimming the surface because that's useful. And, you know, I mean, we, we operate by philosophical principles. There's no getting around it, even if we don't call it that or call it the correct you know, wording, we still live our lives by lots of it. We, you know, like our philosophical bent, there we go. Like, you know, do we see glass half full, glass half empty, like that type of stuff. So there's no getting around it to a certain point, but that certain point, you know, stops for me. It, it's pretty superficial. It's pretty surface area. And when it ever starts going like super, super deep, it's like diminishing returns, right? It's like, wow. It's like, here's a philosophical point or epiphany. I don't know, but it's, it's like Christianity. It's like the ultimate point is the, the thing you need is like the easiest point in Christianity. It's like very superficial, surface deep. I don't mean that like, you know, Jesus is very superficial. I mean, the, the point is very superficial. It's on the surface. It's easy to grab. And that's the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, God in flesh, perfect life, perfect sacrifice, believe, repent, follow him, be filled by the Holy Spirit, be saved, be born again, be given eternal life. I mean, that right there, that's like the most important thing the Christian would say in all of the universe, except maybe God himself existing and sustaining the universe. But for humanity, that's the most important point in all the universe, how to have eternal life in Christ. And that's like the first thing you should be learning in Christianity. So it's like it doesn't take like a wide philosophical birth or deep theology or years of study or rituals. It's like you hear that, you repent, you believe, you put your faith in Christ to save you. And then everything else is diminishing returns. Like you have to work extra hard to get like super deep theological concepts. And the returns you get are never going to be as great as eternal life. They're just going to be better, better doctrine like the Bereans, more fleshed out doctrine, more accurate doctrine, more, more different ways of secondary theology and things like that that have nothing, little to nothing to do with salvation. So it's diminishing returns. It's like philosophy. Uh, you know, certain things, glass half empty, glass half full. Uh, street smarts, book smarts. Like, you know, there's certain things that are pivotal and are foundational to how people live their lives. Like personality types can get into that, things like that. But then once we get beyond like the very basics, which is how we function, how we live our lives, then it becomes diminishing returns. Yes, there is some value, but the return you get, you have to do a lot more thinking, a lot more like vapid talk and hours wasted to get like little glimmers of good, good golden nuggets here and there 
And then the deeper you go, the more you work for a little return. Wow. So um, that's your that's your fun fact for today. All right, well, thanks for joining. We'll see you all later. Anyone hear anything about the curse? Uh, what is it? Oh, Joshua, maybe you know this. It, it was some write-up I just saw about the tablets of Elad curses. E-L-A-D, I think, curse tablets, Elad curse tablets. Uh, apparently, it is a written in like um, a derivative of like Canaanite, ancient Canaanite script or something. Ebal, yeah, maybe it is Ebal. Ebal curse tablets. Just catching up in chat. Yeah, I just saw some people were like writing about it. Like they're like, uh, wow, this is the most amazing thing I've seen. You got to check out this guy's paper on the Ebal curse tablets. And I read like a paragraph and I'm like, yeah, I'm done. Um, well, can you summarize? Like I, I, I don't even know what it is. Like the best I learned from my quick read, because yeah, was it, it's these tablets um, written in some sort of Can Canaanite script. It's like the language of Mordor written in Elvish script, I guess. So like the language of Hebrew written in like Canaanite script. Um, <laughs> and it had something to do with like curses and like general moral principles and stuff like that. Well, yeah, what's, I guess if they have problems, it must mean, pro mean problems with the point they're trying to make. So what what is the point they're trying to make? Is it biblically related or just like ancient history related? I'd be curious to know. And yeah, yesterday, Steph, what, what did you do to make like uh, 80 people like show up here? Steph, hey, I can't Steph. talk a bunch this morning, but yeah, it, I don't know. It was like the conversation with Robert um, got real. Uh, were you there for that? I popped in for like 10 minutes. What? For, for Robert, yeah, I popped in when he was talking for like 10 minutes after you said, like, you know, there's tons of people and I suck as a host because you got more people than me. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know. It was just a, it was an interesting conversation, but it was just sort of painful. I think that's what did it. <laughs> the pain? And then, yeah, the pain. And then there was other stuff, too, I forget. Brother Miller was here the whole day, though. He helped me mod later in the afternoon. Oh, well, cool. So yeah, Nate, I, was it? I, I do oh, yeah, have Rich. a, I do have a topic uh, to discuss here, and something I've, I've been kind of looking into, and would love to get an answer from a bunch of very nice Christians such as yourselves. Uh, it is science related, so if you would prefer to wait out, I don't know, if Chris or someone who's more in line with that, if that's not your 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 deal, but uh, <laughs> I I science too, bro. <laughs> yeah, what's okay, great. what's the question? We'll see. Would you? Would you say that a kind is a taxonomic definition? Like it's a, it's a taxonomic oh, kind of. You kind of <laughs> talked Chris into the room too. Say his name a few times. Maybe he'll appear. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh, he appears. It's like that's what I said, Chris. Nate. Yeah, you kind of talked him into the uh, room. <laughs> Just in time. Beetlejuice. So is a so is a kind a taxonomical um thing? I, I don't think a kind like that's a Bible thing. Like, are, are you asking if like Bible people would say? It's a taxonomy thing because I don't believe uh, well, I don't believe the way like I'm using secular taxonomists. Here. Yeah, I don't the think taxonomists taxonomy, would say Sorry, I just wanted to say it. the way I'm using it is to, is not specifically the the study of the general principles of scientific classification. Like I'm not saying it's a scientific term. 
what I'm asking is, can it or is that the word that's being used in order to order different uh, forms of life on the on, on the earth? Like in the like in okay. the Noah account, are you referring to like when like, yeah, two of every kind, this, yeah. and that like maybe it refers to like species or phylum or order or class? Is that what you're? Yeah, that, that, you're you're getting ahead of me, Apostle. Yeah, uh, but I uh, like. And God said, let the earth bring forth a living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. So it, it seems as though it's trying to talk about classifying animals in, in a regard. And I'm just not too sure what kind is supposed to mean. Like where, where would it, where, where could we put it on our modern day classification system? We wouldn't be because they're completely talking about two totally different things well like it modern taxonomy is talking about classifications of different organisms on earth is kind not doing that no and and you have to understand modern taxonomy changes all the time as well and a lot of the definitions are on a sliding scale and so when we talk about this species or this subspecies or that kind of thing like it it does change quite often you know if you look That's, at the literature like, are you saying that the species that something is labeled in has the possibility to change? Are you saying that yeah. the definition of phylum, genus, order? And species uh, well, those change? have changed as well over time, but like... Well, they have know, changed, but we have right, a modern right. definition for it. Well, but, but again, they're getting refined all the time, not that these are set in stone from 1893. Okay. Well, like when, this, when, when did species become its modern day usage? I'm not sure about the history of the term. Wait, when it says the, two of every kind, that the translation using that word far predates the classification of species, doesn't it? Correct. I'm not and saying I'm, I'm saying not saying that kind is in the taxonomic order. Like I'm right. not saying and that no it's, one is it's on the taxonomic order. Moses is not creating a taxonomy. Moses is simply looking at, hey, there's these animals, and look, well, they I, go two by two. Yeah, he could have said type. Saying. Or I, things. I, yeah, I mean, um, two things. One, uh, Marquise, is this what you're talking about? Your worldview confusion fallacy. Um, and two, um, I rhetorical it is. But I would think like if you're sitting there looking at animals and you see a I don't know some kind of wolf thing, and you see some kind of cat thing, and you're like, okay, all of those kinds separate them. You may have something like I don't know lion, tiger, jaguar, and leopard you're like yeah all those things that look close enough move them in one area all those big wolves and hey let's throw a hyena in like probably not but close enough let's throw all those things in over there like is that is that too dumb that down? sounds like, like taxonomy like that well, sounds yeah, but like I mean, grouping and classifying organisms well i know but i mean and then we we talk today where you can like you know take it to like like chris said like it it the root may be the same like you're classifying things by groups but today, it would, like, the underlying principle may be there. You're still classifying things, but maybe not exactly like that, right? You'd say it's a little different than, hey, take all those things that look close enough and move them there. Like, you'd have different ways and different definitions and different meanings of things by doing that today. Yeah. And also, Nate. Well, I mean, we've come a long way since Linnaeus. I'll, I'll give you very quick there, Apostle. We've come very far from Linnaean taxonomy, right? Then we, ha we, we looked into phenotypic uh, taxonomy, and now we're using a lot of genetics. 
And a lot of things that we're finding in genetics is that things have co-evolved in the, in a, it's called um, convergent evolution, where in two independent areas, a similar, uh, say, appendage that would serve the same function both evolve out of that. But I, I, I just, it, it's a word that gets brought up a lot, and I'm, I'm not equating any one of you fine Christians on the stage to someone like Kent Hovind, but he would, uh, he tries to have a definition for kind that is somewhat taxonomic, yet it is rife with contradiction. In some yeah, it, ways, some people want to say that a kind is a uh, is is a, at the family level, which is extremely high up, and then some put it as low as species. So it's it, it doesn't really seem to make a whole lot of sense to me. I understand that this isn't a science book, and I'm not critiquing it scientifically. What I'm just trying to understand is how you as Christians interpret. It. So what here's the here's the objection you brought up before is that. You know, when we see some of these some of these uh, classifications of um, things in the Bible, we have birds along with bats. So the classification that Moses was using at that point would have been like flying things. He's not trying to make a comment that birds and bats are the same thing. And the idea that, you know, the ancient peoples would have been so dumb as to not notice that a bat, if they pick one up off the ground, that's dead is demonstrably different from a bird. Like they wouldn't have been that ignorant, right? It's not that they would, it's not that they were trying to create some kind of rudimentary taxonomic system and then got a bunch of stuff wrong. And therefore, Oh, the scripture is not correct. Like I've heard this argument and that's not what's going on here. It's that there's certain things for the giving of the law that are being lumped in together. And it's not to say that this is a taxonomic definition. This is, Hey, by the way, don't eat this kind of bat and get COVID. That, right. That's, and, you know. well, and like to your point, Chris, it's like, you know, the Bible talks about, you know, and every creeping crawling thing. So, I mean, that's kind of like what you said, like every yeah. flying thing, like we're not worried if it's a pterodactyl necessarily, not saying there was pterodactyls on the ark, just for example, but you know, if it's in the air, it's a, it, if it's in the air, it's a flying thing. And Steph was writing one. If it's in the air, it's a flying thing. If it's a creepy crawling thing, great. I don't know, scorpion, snake, ant. It's creeping, it's crawling. That's a thing. Wait, does Steph ride right, pterodactyls or if, if, if that's If that's what you're saying, then I think the, the noatic flood uh, survivability goes a lot higher, right? Because then you only have, like, what, cows? There's your walking beasts. Uh, I guess you didn't really need to bring flying beasts. So I guess it was just Noah on the boat with a cow and his family. Um, but when we start to talk about uh, all the forms of life that would have to be on the ark in order for the diversity of life on the face of the earth that we have today in that amount of time, it seems like he would have had to have a lot more animals on there or there's some kind of miracle coming in where God made a bunch more animals after the flood. Well, I mean, if you look at some of the uh, some of the buoyant, like like you know, people have made the argument. I don't really know or care, but you know, taking the word of people who have made the buoyancy argument of Noah's boat, um, it's not a boat; it's a ship. They would say the buoyancy, you know, based on the biblical um, blueprint, um, wouldn't have the correct buoyancy or whatever it needs to make the ship float. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I'm fine being like, yeah, it's a miracle. God wanted it to float or float. It could be full of holes. Well, it, 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 it would have more to do with 
if he had to accommodate a lot more animals, the ship would have to be of a sufficient size in order to do so. If we're saying that kind is just like well, making a different argument. these flying beasts, like that kind of level of classification, as you guys are mentioning, then it makes it really easy. You could fit that on a dinghy. I mean, it would be uncomfortable, yeah, yeah. but... Sorry, hang on, just to clarify real quick. My point wasn't for the the animal capacity thing. I was just making a miracle point. Like, whenever you said, or a miracle, I, I was taking that to the other argument that people make, like, whether it was empty, it still shouldn't be able to float, because, I don't know, math. That, that, that's not what I was speaking to. Carry on. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know enough about cubits, to be honest. Um, They're about 18 inches long. Um, hey, so by the way, Rich, just for your edification, do you know what I'm literally doing right now as I'm talking to you guys? Shaking Ten Ham's hand. I am close. I am working on planning a trip for my family to the Ark Encounter for the summer. Oh, wow. Right now. Wow. I'm literally going to the website. So I apologize to your family. Um, if you see the giraffes from the commercial, let them know I said hi. I will. I will. I'm gonna and I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can and let's see if we can do this because this would be super fun. I will send an email to Ken Ham and see if we can do a very special, um, like a blossom, very special um, episode. We can do like a very special AAC where we have Ken Ham come on um, and he can battle Steph on older. That'd be cool. Should be hilarious. My question is, did Jesus ride a dinosaur? That's my question for him. All right. Well, maybe I'm going to email him and see if we can make it happen because I think that would be a very fun um, uh, clubhouse room. Nate, I did read a translation of the Bible that said that Jesus rode into town on an assosaurus. You did not. <laughs> no, I didn't. But uh, I digress. Like that would have been from the, like the Hawaiian. What, what was it, Steph? The, the word, like how they have different um... aloha. No, no, it's like the Hawaiian, like like very very urban slang. Like different places Pigeon. will have them. Well, Hawaiian. What is it? Pigeon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you can see where I'm coming from, right? When when it says you have to take two of every, is it two of every clean and seven of unclean or flip it? I think it's flipped. Um, Bro, but the in giraffes that, have. Like, glasses why do the giraffes have glasses? Jeffrey the giraffe yes um but what, what I'm trying to say is that determining what a kind is determines how many animals Noah would have had to have on have on the boat so like this is where it's kind of like this really uh what's the word I'm looking for vague term doesn't really do me much in terms of understanding what happened with how many animals were on the boat in the flood well, right. But I mean, all this is, is conjecture, right? So like even, even among Christians, we're going to have different uh, examples from Chris to Kinham to Hoven or whatever. Um, but I mean, we're, we're going to have different people that say different things, but, and then we can argue about that, but we have no idea if that's what, you know, um, actually happened. Right. So like if, if we take one thing that's very palatable and you're like, okay, I agree. Great. How close does that get you to Jesus? Um, and then if we take something that you're like, no, that's impossible. Um, even a miracle couldn't cover that, which, I mean, it could by definition, miracle. But um, it, no matter what, like, it, we would have to be true. Like, the thing we come up with that we say, okay, this this is possible, but is it true? 
like we may never know like can you imagine like you know no like eye rolling like you guys are so far off base like look this is what kind means this is the number of animals yes god made a leaky boat float yes this is this is how it happened um just like face palming in heaven i don't know like i i mean i honestly i like the conversation it's thought provoking and and i i mean i think we have some really good hypotheses here but who's to know what actually happened like how close was it to the leading one so you're calling right. animals on a boat a good hypothesis? James, you I should mean, have played the party. That. No, I you're want, James, right. James, 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 James. Can I just say something very quickly? I just want to say that we are having sure, a very please. pleasant conversation, and I'm not, I'm not attacking them on like them believing no, this and, or anything. I'm, not I'm just trying to get uh, their position. He's saying that it is a valid hypothesis, and I mean, with miracles, well, anything's a valid hypothesis. No, no, no. Hang on, guys. Hang on, James. James, hang on. Let me, is let me this Rich yes. Evans oh, himself? Hang on. hang on, everyone, hang on. James, no, it's not. you showed up late. You self-identified as someone who was not understanding, and then you start talking. So you have two ears, one mouth. I will, I will catch you up to speed. I said we I have valid hypotheses. I just asked. I, and you're still asking it. I'm answering it. You're literally like, I want to know this. Please tell me this. I want to know with all my heart and soul. And then the person starts answering. You're like, I have a question. I have a question. Can I answer it? What I'm saying is even Rich is like, yes, that would make a lot more sense. We're talking about the number of animals. And it all centers around his original question of what is a kind, right? So if there's supposed to be like a billion animals on the ark, sounds a little iffy. If there's supposed to be like 10, okay, that makes a lot more sense. That's the whole crux of this discussion. So even you, James, would say it's totally palatable. That like, yeah, if there's like 10 or 20 animals, sure. That, that's the whole discussion. That's that's all we're saying. Carry on. Yeah, we're, because James, what we're talking about is where we would draw that kind line. Uh, specifically because of Chris's best friend, Ken Ham, uh, stating that <laughs> for, for specific things, they want to go to the point of uh, the family, right? Whereas if they were to be consistent that kind meant family, we would be the same kind as chimpanzees. We're both in the family of hominidae. Like it, so, it, it it's it seems as though it's a it's especially with Ken Ham and the the Ark encounter. It's uh it seems like a very it's a double standard because they're basically just applying the term wherever they feel as though it best fits them. Well, they would and, separate uh, humans. So the the problem that you're having, Rich, is that we would separate humans completely out of any of the animal families. So, like in the in the Christian worldview, humans are not seen as just another animal. Like that, that just it's just not in the worldview. Humans are I what we call that. a special creation. So, like we wouldn't be in the same family as chimpanzees. They're just an animal family. That has nothing to do with humans. I feel as though there's some kind of negative connotation to the word animal. And I would like to uh, specify that when I'm speaking, especially in terms of biology, when I say animal, I mean of the kingdom animalia, right? Like we're, we are all in the kingdom of animalia. Right. We are all animals. So and I understand. That. Well, I mean, then you're just disagreeing with a, a simple label because you're not a fan of the like we can talk about all the ways that humans have vast differences to other animals but to to just re reject taxonomy because it says a word that you don't like i don't well, no, like what, what other justification an it's making an assumption that humans are not special creation it's making an assumption that humans 
are part of a genetic family that that uh, presupposes evolutionary biology. If we reject that principle, it's not that we're rejecting a label or taxonomy, it's that we are restoring human beings back to their essential place, um, you know, in terms of dignity and difference. How, but um, and the problem the problem is that the worldview that you are are looking at in terms of putting human beings in the same category in the kingdom um, uh, animalia um, animalia man I can never say that word it's all good um, is that we are devaluing the uniqueness of human beings to the point where we get all sorts of things like. Hey, let's murder this whole group of people because they're just animals running around. You get Nazi, you know, type of stuff. I mean, it's it's really ugly. And so, what we would say is that the Christian worldview does not include human beings within the animal kingdom. But, but right, but when we say does it fall under the animal kingdom, what I am talking about is that it is a multicellular eukaryotic organism. For the record, since we've ex explained everything and nuanced it and defined our terms, I mean, I've always been fine with it. I don't get the big deal. I mean, I agree with what Chris is saying, but for sake of conversation, I'm like, yeah, sure. But if it, if it suits everyone, every time you would use the word animal, just say potato. We're all potatoes. I get it. I'm fine with it. So I resent your potatoes. comment on my lack of movement. Um, <laughs> now, but like, let's see, Chris, how far down can we go? Are we chordates? Do we no, have we, uh, we like can, a spine? But, but what? You're not, not cordates? No. So, so look, when we're talking about human beings as special creation, you, the assumption that you're making is that we include them within the taxonomic reductions of animals. What That's I'm saying what I was is, say, in, right, within the Christian worldview, we're simply not even including humans at all in that in those taxonomic definitions, at all. We can have similarities. But we, you know, and we're, we're we, obviously we're chordates. Obviously, we, you know, uh, are mammals. Are obviously, mammals. we're primates. Sure. Okay, like wait, I have something things. to contribute. Can I go I've right been... before you step? Because I'm going to have to hop off in a second. I was kind of yeah, waiting, waiting in the wings. But no, Rich, that's what I was going to say. So when, when we think about taxonomy and join a little bit back further in the conversation, but I think it's relevant to the point that you and Chris are parsing out. Um, when you think about taxonomy, it's not just categorization. If we look at it as just categorization or classification in a very, uh, I'll use Nate's word, superficial and surface level sense, then it seems like, as you said, Noah's classifying the animals by separating them into categories. But when you look at taxonomy, it's not just categorization or classification, but it's a system and it's a stratified system which necessarily, as Chris says, presupposes the evolutionary process, which is how we start off in the same kingdom and then branch off into different phylums. That's an evolutionary process that brings us from each stratus of the taxonomic structure. And so in scripture, when it says kind, it's categorizing, but not to the point of stratification, right? So based on the uh, 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 how I would read scripture from, you know, authorial intent. I think Chris was sort of talking about that in terms of, you know, two kinds of birds. I don't think he's getting into the different species inside the, the uh, uh, subspecies of robins or pigeons. You know, there are different kinds of pigeons or different kinds of tigers, you know, 
Bengal tiger versus some other version or the different kinds of lions. Suffice it to say, it's probably just two lions, two zebras, two elephants, and not getting into those other different things. And I'm saying that specifically in that it's not the, the, the biblical worldview that, that, that Moses is writing from is not coming from that presupposition of an evolutionary system which would cause stratified categorization or stratified classification. It's just categorization. And that would not be, strictly speaking, the same as the tax, uh, taxonomic model, if that makes sense. If I can, uh, just, be just before Apostle leaves, I'd love to respond to that because I have a very good point for that, if you don't mind, Nate. Go ahead, Potato Rick. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, so I understand where you're coming from, but what... I, and I don't mean to seem uh, insulting in any way, but I, what I think you may be forgetting is the fact that in the Bible, it states that enemies or <laughs> enemies, animals, uh, potatoes. Pot potatoes give off their kind. Right. What if you if you were to say that we're, we're already assuming this uh, descent with inherited modification, you do as well. And it's in the Bible. When it says that animals will only give off after their kind, that's saying the same thing as to say what I'm saying. Well, okay. So let me yes, see if I can repeat this correctly, but my much more sciencey husband has said something. So he said one of the differences is that uh, they were classifying, they were, so he said the first job that Adam was given was the basis of science, right? The naming of the animals, the separating, the organizing, but really we're told the naming, right? So then we have this like, this modern understanding where we're much more interested in the lineage of the animal. So we're not as excited about, you know, uh, separating them by how they walk, what they eat, how they behave, you know, visual elements or interactive elements. We're now looking into things that are much less obvious um, so then we're getting more into lineage. So the way that they would name things back then is that differently than the way we would name them now, because again, we're more lineage oriented, um, and finding how things are related that way. But then the other thing is in the chat, Dr. Bowen is recommending that we read Deuteronomy 14, 11 through 18. So I'm going to read that real quick. And something he said earlier was the word min is the word that's being used for kind. Um, so he pointed us to this verse to say, this is where the word min is used. So 14, Deuteronomy 14, 11 through 18, um, of all clean birds. Let me see. Am I, in, why am I in the King James? I'm going to go to the ESV. Hold on. No, King James only. No. Queen James only. <laughs> For the sake of my, uh, reading ability, 14. Okay. You may eat all clean birds. But these are the ones you shall not eat, the eagle, the bearded vulture, the black vulture, the kite, the falcon of any kind, and I think that kind is where Dr. Bowen said the word is min, every raven of any kind, or min, the ostrich, the nighthawk, the seagull, the hawk of any min, the little owl and the short-eared owl, the barn owl and the tawny owl, the carrion vulture and the cormorant, the stork, the heron of any min, the hoopoe, and the bat. All winged insects are unclean for you and they shall not be eaten. All clean wings, winged things you may eat. So I think that's where he's saying, look, how they did classify it wasn't strictly visual. He's saying they used men to categorize these creatures. Uh, I'd love to ask Dr. Bowen 
if that is this I, I was trying to i don't know what the the website's called i used to know it where you could see the hebrew text and click on a word and then you get the different translations and interpretations of the word can't find that anymore but i would love to know if that is the same one as uh if, if it's min being used in genesis 1 24 uh in the, in the creation of them blue uh, bluelitterbible.org Hey, you get a call. Robert, uh, you, I think you, you started to say something a long time ago. Sorry, but uh, did you want to jump in? My bad. You got a phone call. Uh, not really. I mean, but okay. I could add two cents to this, but um, yeah. Do you well, want to roll? I mean, I, I would I would have well, I would have gone straight to Deuteronomy 14 myself just to showcase how Min is categorized um, in a much more uh, not so much a kind sort of category, but more like a species category. I, I would, I find that quite curious that you have specific min within the bird, quote unquote, kind. So, yeah. Rich, it, Rich uh, that, uh, it was. So it was managed. To Jesus, we also okay. got to be sure that it's and, being and used also, exactly the same way across. Oh wait, I, I think I broke. I think I broke. The, up. the the other thing, the other thing to note here is. Um, and this is something I've shared with Josh a few years ago. <laughs> uh, when you look at Genesis commentaries, uh, what I found very fascinating is is from the Church Fathers, from Basil the Great, even Talmudic commentaries, um, all the way up to John Calvin himself and Martin Luther himself. They found it curious that Genesis 1 verse 20 has potentially the... Um, the origins of birds as deriving from the oceans, and a lot, and there's a lot of debate, like in the Hexameron and in, in the Church Father material, they they debated. Wait, hang on. Are, do fish and birds have a? Do they share a like a common ancestry? Do they derive from each other? That's I'm quoting verbatim from Basil the Great, for example. You're talking about so, uh, Genesis one twenty one, where it's talking about no, creating Genesis, the whales. Genesis one verse twenty. Okay. Uh, Rich, I have real quick, the, qu the question you ask is bluelitterbible.org before you get Yeah, I, I have that pulled up okay. now. Thanks, Nate. Trying to be helpful. So if you go to if you go to John yeah, Calvin's commentary, for example, he says that there are there are me like basically Bible critics of his day that make a mockery of that verse because how can the birds come from the oceans? And so all Calvin could do is is say, well, just leave it to God. Like if God can bring things out of existence from nothing. Well, who are you to say that he can't bring birds out of the oceans? And then finally in the 1800s... Um, Robert, where, Schaff, where in Calvin's commentary does it say that you have the passage, chapter, and Yeah, such? I can go get it up. Yeah, if you could post that in the chat, that'd be great. Because I have yeah, a complete sure. set of his work, so I'd like to look it up myself. Sure. Uh, and then in the 1800s, Philip Schaff, he, uh, when he, he and a few others, when they're translating the, the fathers... They left in a few little comments, like editorial comments. So when Basil says that um, birds and fish are of one family, uh, uh, Philip Schaff, in hindsight of Darwin, is like, oh my goodness, this is exactly Darwin's and Huxley's propositions about fish to dinosaur to bird. So, yeah, it, the, the church, like scholars in this field... Uh, this this has been a discussion that's been going on for quite a while. Like, 
like um, Hippolytus in the second century was quoting Anaximander as speaking about humans deriving from fish ultimately and then Hippolytus re refers again to Genesis 1:20 down to the six days like like humans like like you have species originating first from the oceans and then finally humans arise on the scene so the early church were were aware of this discussion but they didn't know what to make of it the, the early church was not the early church was not presupposing some type of Darwinian evolution. Like that is just not, that is not honest with the text. Come on. I am only verbatim sharing. Well, not verbatim. You're giving us a paraphrase said. and saying it's verbatim. <clears throat> so that's suspect right there. So if you want to uh, read an no. actual passage and give us the reference, knock yourself out. If you want to paraphrase, then say it. All right, I'll go and get the actual quotes, and then Great. I'll read it on mic. Hey, can I read that passage? Mine, mine says something on Genesis chapter uh, 1, 20. Let me load up my Libronex software, and I'll bring it right up. Yeah, the, the passage says, uh, Then God said, Let the water swarm with living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth, across the expanse of the sky. Yeah, so either there's a whole bunch of animals, or there's very few animals. Congratulations, uh, repent and believe the gospel, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. That is say the potatoes. only thing that really matters. I didn't say animals. No, you, right? you, you meant to say potatoes. But potatoes is for animals. I didn't say animals, right? Yeah, you did. So I shouldn't have said. Why do I say animals? Oh, I did say animals. I meant potatoes. Good call, Rich. I said it twice, didn't I? You're forgiven, brother. Oh, thank you. That's very Christian of you. So forget animals and forget potatoes and, uh, you know, believe Jesus. Uh, uh, maybe not. Um... Like, how bad would, like, how bad would that suck, right? If someone, like, didn't entertain Jesus because they couldn't get past Noah and the potatoes. And because uh, they're like, no, it's too many kinds, too many animals. No, that's impossible. Um, and then, you know, you find out somehow after it's too late, you're like, oh, actually, it was, it was the more favorable approach, and it was very few animals. So, yeah, it was totally plausible, and it happened. And because of that, you never got around to, like, exploring Jesus. How bad No, but if it, is, if, if, it was, if it were too few animals, then the diversity and uh, abundance of life on Earth would, would have had to be, like, turbo speed. Like, it would have had to be... Like if we're if we're saying like that a this was a world, being. if that's what you're willing, if you're willing to claim a miracle that's not stated within the Bible, yeah. I mean, go or, for it. But... Or you can, or you can posit that because of the genetic information in each of the kinds, that the speciation would have happened at a much faster rate. I mean, there's all sorts of things that you can. Why, why would you that say that? Why well, would it? Because. Yeah, like what? Yeah, you'd have to give me a counter argument. I'm just saying. I'm no. I'm, I that's you I'm just claimed it. I'd that, love to hear the justification for that. I'm not. I'm making. I am not making a claim. I am. I am simply putting out there that there are possibilities that we cannot account for. Sure. So, what if isms? Gotcha. Sure. Yeah, and that's all. It doesn't I'm make it I'm not bad. Making a claim. Well, I mean, well, yeah, well, I, I could mean, do what, what if isms what, for everything, right? What? What? What if the entire? Hang on. Everyone stop. Everyone stop. That's hang. Hang on, Chris. That, you just got me killed, Chris. I, I'm blocking you now in Fortnite. Oh, no, that's the point. What if, right? If we're not trying to like, if we're not trying to like win a debate with empirical evidence, then what about like this whole conversation has been what about? 
because we're talking about absolute nonsense no one can prove because no one is Noah. Like, we don't know. Like, we come, like, Christians are coming up with a more favorable view. Non Christians are coming up with a more, you know, questioning, unfavorable view. And neither one of us know. All we're doing is what about. That's what we've been doing for the last hour. Um, so, I mean, what about, if it makes you think, is what we should be doing. If you're trying to win a medal and win a tournament, well, then bring some evidence. Gotcha. So, what about if the Bible was actually written by Satan in order to make everyone convinced that they're actually following the God that he rebelled against, but the God that you're actually worshiping is Satan? If that's what you believe, then it makes sense why you don't follow this God. However, with no, my just asking soul, questions. Uh, no, I, I, I mean, I understand what you're doing, and I'm fine answering. Within my soul, this is what resonates as the true God of the universe, not Satan. That's my answer. What's your answer? You, but you did, you did, you, misheard, you misunderstood me. I was saying that what if the Bible as and the God attested to in the Bible, so the thing that's directing your soul is actually Satan, a tr like uh, deceiving you into thinking he's God. Well, there's two things. One, you didn't say who was directing my soul. You talked about who was the author of the Bible. So if it was the devil, and I did hear you, so I kind of resent that a little bit. But if you want to add this onto it now, then yes, to the best of my cognitive ability, this is what attests to myself, my whole existence, that this is the true God of the Bible that I am following, not Satan. And if somehow I'm wrong, well then, oops, that sucks. So, you know, when people say like, you know, I don't know how to possibly do this. I don't know how. Like, if people did that and they like, I live my life by empirical evidence. No, you don't. You're lying. Like, if you did that, you wouldn't get out of bed in the morning because you wouldn't know if the ground was going to disappear beneath your feet. So, you know, the evidence, the existence that we have, we make subjective decisions. And if someone can't trust themselves enough to, like, carve out a path of life, then I feel sorry for them. And there's very few of them because most of us do that. So we settle on what we believe we know to be most accurate. And then we forge that path, which is what I'm doing. So, you know, if... The, the devil totally, you know, is like, ha ha, watch this. And has God like chained up in his basement while he's like deceiving all these people trying to follow God. Well, then I guess that sucks. But I'm willing to die uh, on the on the belief that I am the closest to accurate, and your scenario is not true. So yeah. I don't know. What so else intuition. No, yeah. So your intuition. That's fine. That Which is completely could, wrong. Could... Intuition <laughs> is the best. Well, well, someone that denies the spiritual world intuition or like gut feeling or instinct or whatever that's like the closest you can get to what we're saying but like most of the world that's ever lived has believed in like this spiritual spiritual type of stuff that's what we mean so it, secularly intuition is the best you have and it makes sense why you're like oh well that's all you got no that's all we can explain to you because you you deny this whole spiritual stuff which is what we're saying which is similar to but not like intuition yeah, and if you could show me a spiritual way that I could connect with this God for him to in some way show me that he's not Satan, I mean, then I guess I would agree with you. But I can't be yeah. certain of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think where the issue is is that, like, yesterday Congress had this thing where they talked about 300 UFO examples they can't explain. All they had is what ifism. So there are times where that is the most appropriate thing because you can't 100% prove it. And the answer, Rich, isn't for you to come up with some ridiculous scenario to be sarcastic and show you're a, you're a wise guy like entertained in a good faith discussion so there are times where what isms are appropriate but uh, to be honest with you you didn't point out a reason that mine was more ridiculous than what chris said e both were equally justified 
So I mean, uh, but, it just seems that because issue, he's on your side of the aisle, he's a, no, he gets no, a pass, and that. I don't. It, it, no, no, my issue is that you don't. What do you mean you don't get a pass? I answered your ridiculous. And I answered your ridiculous scenario. I wasn't yeah, saying I, that to you, Nate. I was saying it to CEO for calling me out for doing so, but not calling out Chris for doing so. No, because the difference is you do not at all remotely believe what you said is a possibility. So that's the difference. How, how do you know what I believe? Intuition. Okay. okay. Do, do you believe it? Do you believe there is even a 5% chance of what you presented is true? I'm not. A, I'm not a statistician. I can't tell you what the statistics on it would be. I can't give you a probability. Okay. Wait. Hang on. Hang on. Stop. 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 Wait. Wait. Everyone. Stop. Everyone. Stop. Everyone. Stop. Everyone. Stop. Rich. I don't know if I'm wrong. Correct me. But as I think an atheist, right? Do you identify as an atheist? Like. Sure. I. Okay. Well, then that's how we know. So unless you're lying or have a gross misunderstanding of atheism, who doesn't believe this stuff exists or lacks a reason to believe this stuff exists, then you do not believe what you said. So that's the reason by your own admission. No, I, now I let's move sorry. On. That was a different well, question. It was a different question that was asked of me, Nate. It's not whether or not I actually believe it. It's whether or not I believed it to be possible. Okay. Do okay. You well, I think we, well, hang on. I, I think, wait, wait, I, I think we spent enough time on kinds and the psychoanalysis of rich. Does anybody, please dear Jesus, <laughs> have any other topic or place we can go? I'm, I'm sick of potatoes and psychoanalyzing for today. I, I have none, of, none of that. <laughs> so, I mean, if you're the speaking to your own demeanor, like, I, I I'm can't. speaking to. I'm I wasn't psychoanalyzing myself, room. right? We were doing it to you, Rich, <laughs> exactly. and I'm done doing it to you. So, I mean, speaking outwardly to say to stop doing something that you're doing, I mean, you could just stop doing it, right? But. What you're doing right now is kind of where I'm exhausted. Like, stop being pedantic. Stop arguing over every jot and tittle of a discussion point, you atheist Pharisee. That's what well, I'm Well, I mean, I'm not say. writing anything it down, was... so there wouldn't be any jot and tittles. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's move on. You Can atheist we move on? Pharisee. <laughs> Hello? Yes. Thought that was funny. I got jokes. Anyway, how's Vaniel? Vaniel, what's up, Vaniel? Save us. Greetings and salutations. I hey, thought you were um, saved, Nate. I hate you with Christian love. Hey. So, uh, I'm not sure if this question falls in line or is in the, against the. The borders you, you uh, Nate, you put to not talk about. Um, <laughs> you're trying to move on, but um, on the on the discussion on on Genesis 1:20, when I read it, it doesn't sound like a creation account. Uh, it just says, "Let the birds swarm over the sea." Um, so I'm not sure what translation, um, you know, that's being read from to assume that you know birds came from the sea. And also, on top of that, how you view Genesis chapter one uh, will kind of determine, um, you know, what what to filter out and how to look at the situation. Um, if if you're if you're assuming that Genesis one is talking about a material material ontology, a, cre a material creation story, um, as far as uh, then <clears throat> that's one thing. Um, but if you see it as a functional ontology, a functional creation account, 
um, that's being described there, then you don't really have as many difficulties if the Genesis chapter uh, 120 was uh, saying coming from the um, coming the verse coming from the water. So uh, I, you know, I, I believe you were saying that uh, who was it, Rich or Robert was saying that historians or, or theologians have been battling, debating this particular passage for you know, for whatever. But it doesn't seem difficult to me when I'm actually reading the passage itself. It didn't say that it came from the waters. It says let let it says it's like it's like it's given a command that the birds would swarm uh, over the seas, not that they were coming from. I'll land there. Hey Nate. Well, I, I'm happy uh, to go through all the quotes if you want me to. So I don't think Chris is here at the moment. It looks like he's on a call. Yeah, you don't have and to. And he was the, the one that had asked you, right? Or was it Vanya? Oh, my bad. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't. Um, I wasn't saying going through the quotes. Um, I mean, I'm saying what does the text actually say when we actually read it? Well, yeah. Robert so, was ready for Chris, so when Chris gets back, Robert can address Chris. And in the meantime, yeah, Rich, you were speaking, and I tried to move the conversation. No one else has anything, and neither do I. So well, I'll, I'll post this. We'll, we'll keep uh, post this in the. No, I can. I can move. No, uh, what I'm saying is, I'll Nate. post this in the chat. Okay. Okay. We'll point Chris to that for sure. Um, the thing about talking about how one would interpret Genesis, if I were to be a Christian, I would be a Bible-thumping literalist, to be honest with you. If I was convinced that it was the Word of God, I'd believe every word of it, and literally so. Uh, the problem in not doing so is I do not know where to draw the line. And I know that everyone might think that I'm trolling, people might think that I'm being insincere, but it's the, it is the case that when Jesus says he he is the door, how do we know he's not actually becoming a door? This is how. So, if people will do things in, I believe, the biblical order, like I think you were here when we talked about diminishing returns and the thing you learned first is coincidentally the thing you need the most. If someone will start with the ultimate point, which is Jesus, repent, ask him to save you, give you eternal life, make you born again, stop doing stuff you know you shouldn't be doing anyways. If someone will do that, we're told that person will be saved and they will have God themselves living with that person, leading them and guiding them and convicting them and compelling them on the direction to go throughout their life. That is how it's called spiritual discernment. So without getting too super spooky right now, the best you can do is uh, intuition or gut feeling. If someone places their faith in Christ and is sealed and saved, by, you know, the Holy Spirit seals and they're saved by Jesus through faith in him then that intuition that now they have to go on will look a little different. And then you'll be in our camp saying, well, if you don't believe in the spiritual stuff, it's kind of like intuition, but not exactly. So that would be the answer. Become a Christian, be spirit-filled, be led by God himself. That is how you know that when Christians say Jesus is not literally a door, that's how you get to know these things. That's how the mystery of the Trinity starts to unwrap a little easier and becomes more palatable. That's how some of these things about kinds becomes more of a hand wave because in some way, shape or form, it can happen, uh, whether it's naturally or God magic or whatever, let your spiritual discernment guide you and not man's wisdom that the Bible spends a whole lot of time saying leads people to foolish conclusions. That is your answer. I have another answer. Rich, in the rest of your life as an atheist walking around, how do you know when something is hyperbolic or metaphorical or poetic, do you recognize a simile or a metaphor in the rest of your life? 
Uh, depends on what context. So do you find yourself in a lot of places where, like, does it happen to you a lot where you're overhearing two girls talking at Starbucks and one of them is like, oh, my God, I literally died. And you're like, oh, she's dead. Do you know what I mean? Like, No, because the context around that is that I'm experiencing her speak that, right? If I'm being, okay, so... if, if the claim is that there's an all-powerful God who sent himself down as his own son to the planet, there's no reason for me to believe that it would be impossible or unlikely for him to become a door. Okay, but when you're reading, and that's fine. So, so you're looking at the biblical text as though it's all written by the same author with the same intent in the same atmosphere in the same language in the same way every time. But when you're reading the Bible, it's like, you know, you, you read it like any other text that you would recognize, you know, metaphorical language in, which you are fully capable of doing in the rest of your life. So it's not, it's not, there's definitely an element that's important that what's Nate this, that Nate just described. But even before that, you already have the skills to determine this language problem. Well, in a book, let's say they, it says there is a uh, a card tower. You know what I'm talking about? Where you stack cards? There's a card tower as tall as the Chrysler Building. It, is that hyperbole in the book? I don't know. I have to look into what the the context of it was there potentially could have been a card tower that tall in the book so you know, what i would need is some kind of methodology by which i can look at a verse and utilizing that verse be able to determine if it is absolutely literal and should be taken as such or should be taken as metaphor and when we look at point you don't do that anywhere else in life it's unfair yeah, i do okay rich so my answer still stands, God. That's the answer. Have God be your tutor and help you read. On the other hand, let's just go with your worst case scenario. I would probably see some pitfalls and want some time to really analyze this. But if you were an absolute biblical literalist, that's probably not a bad way to go. I'm thinking for the most important things outward, if you thought Jesus literally is God, literally came to earth, literally committed no sin, no transgression, literally died, blood everywhere for your forgiveness of your sins. Your sins are literally forgiven. And he literally rose, literally seated at heaven in the right hand of the father. And you are literally saved. If, and then go branch out from there. You know, that's probably not a bad thing. I support that. Do that. On the other hand, my original answer, let God be your tutor, fall on your face before God, repent, ask for eternal life. Just like he says, he'll freely give to everyone that exercises a little bitty bit of faith. So if that's you, Congratulations. God will be your tutor. Worst case scenario, yes. Believe all the other stuff literally, and then, you know, Jesus being a door. Fine. Do that. Uh, but Nate, as, as your unlicensed legal advocate, I'm going to have to ask you to unwind that because <laughs> um, after Rich gouges both of his eyes out and he cuts his hand off, I think that he's he may sue well, you. Well, he's still saved. So if I have to be sued for a frivol the definition of a frivolous lawsuit, that I can get a motion to dismiss before we start. Um, I'm willing to take that, uh, you know, for the salvation of one rich's soul. So, sure. And that's the sacrifice I'll make for you, buddy. Hey, may I add to that? Um, um, I, I agree uh, wholeheartedly with what Steph was um, saying. Um, Taking, uh, oh, a little hard to hear, Vaniel. You're very hard to hear. Uh, yeah, can you hear me now? 
I mean, we hear you, but we hear your uh, darling child oh, yeah, in the yeah. background, too. I don't know if we want to take it to court. I no, mean, we wait, all saw, we all saw how uh, Kitzmiller versus Dover went. I liked yeah. hearing Vaniel say he agreed with me. Please continue, Vaniel. Yeah, let me let me continue to agree with you. Uh, uh, yeah, the, the same approach that you would take to know if anything is figurative or literal um, it would be the same approach that you would take, you know, even when discussing the scriptures itself. Um, I, I think a, a, a good hermeneutics class, you know, would help you better interpret what the scriptures is actually saying so you know if he's talking about a literal door or talking about access to something um but also when we when we talk about something being literal especially uh, what does it literally mean i think the best approach is to say what did it mean to the original audience that it was written to and um you would do the same thing like you would do with any other information to know what it is you would actually see what surrounds that statement you know, because a word is understood by the sentence that is put in. Um, you know, the sentence is understood by the paragraph that is uh, that is placed in. So you have this nested information. So you, if you take the same approach that you would naturally do to know if, hmm, is he really saying that uh, I'm dying right now? Or, you know, you would take the same approach with scripture. So you can okay. no text is an island. So, you know. Could you give me an example of the... Uh, the the utilization of these hermeneutics. If I were to say Genesis one, one, let's look at that verse only just keep it simple. So we look at this verse Rich, and then we say, how do we know if this is, how if do this you is... know when you're reading the latest edition of a science textbook, if you should take whatever the paragraph is literally, or if you should take it allegorically, how do you know in a science textbook, how you would do that? I, I don't. So when we're looking at claims within a science textbook, right? These yeah. are. Uh, we're usually talking about experiments that one can undertake and perform themselves you're, in order to corroborate the information. No, we can corroborate it. the information to know that it's not allegory. No, no, it's, no, no, no. it's in you're a science book, right? It. You're overthinking it. What was the the answer? The correct answer is the author's intention is not to put out the science as allegory, right? So you would refer to what the author's intention for that science book is. If the author's intention is not to make up an allegorical story about cell regeneration, like then you know that he's not meaning it to be allegory. That's the I point. disagree. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Yeah, so, because, so basically, because so basically someone who is a creationist. Is, so your, your math book can just mean banana when we're talking about quadratic equations. I'm sure cool. that a quadratic equation could be uh, formulated as such as to spell banana in a certain way. Oh, as some for kind heaven's of, uh, sake. It's, oh, just, it's yes. possible. I don't know why you would say it wouldn't spent. be. Uh, I, 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 what I wanted to say was that the – like. So determining it by author's intent, who wrote Genesis? Moses. The devil, according to you. How, I didn't state that, that was the case. I stated it was a possibility, yeah, Nate. Uh, you potato. Um, <laughs> the, uh, so you're saying Moses. Okay, how do we know Moses wrote it? Doesn't matter. Uh, what? If we're talking about the author's intent, 
we have to know that we know who the author is. But again, you're you're, you're oh, that's you're not true. Two, you're looking at what? two completely different issues. You you know, you're what, what I'm saying is, if we make the assumption that Moses wrote the Old Testament, which not everybody does, if we make the assumption that the documentary hypothesis is correct, then we're going to come up with a different idea of who wrote the the Torah. Okay, like there's there's all of these different things, but when we're looking at the meanings of the verses. We look at who the author is, who, who the audience is, the time period in which it was written. So again, the reason that you've got scholars that want to place the writing of the Torah in the post-exilic period is because that helps out liberal scholarship. Okay, when you have people that want to place the Torah pre-exilic or pre-kingdom, then that helps out conservative authorship. There's just presuppositions that are being brought to the table now. We can ignore all of those presuppositions if we just say, what is the author, whoever the author is, whether it's a, Jude you know, let's just, let's just for argument's sake that the documentary hypothesis is correct, Moses never existed, whatever, whatever presuppositions you want to make. But there is still an author behind those words. What was the author's intent? We can determine from the text itself what the author's intent is for How? any text. So what you are doing is you are presupposing. Yeah, I teach a class on Wednesday nights. You can come. Um, we're almost. I have movie night on Wednesday so. nights. Sorry, buddy. Okay. Well, there's there's, is this not there's more the replays. You? You'd think this yeah. is important to you. <clears throat> there's replays. You can listen to all the replays. There's we've had nine classes under our belt after last night. So the. So let's start with Genesis one one. Let's let's do that. So one. Whoa, whoa, whoa. no, let's back up. We have to start with the presuppositions. If you are presupposing postmodern literary theory then all bets are off and it doesn't matter what Genesis 1-1 says because the author's intent doesn't matter. And so then we're just talking gobbledygook past each other because if postmodern literary theory is correct, then you can't know anything about anyone except for yourself and it devolves into solipsism. And so are we going to assume solipsism? Yes or no? Are you a solipsist? Are you the only person who can determine truth for yourself? No. Okay. Now well, let's, let's not go to Genesis one one. Wait, wait, wait. Hang on. Stop. Uh, thank Jesus. We have we have more people. I want to give them a chance to speak real fast. Uh, we have we're just way too much. It's far out. No. Potato. No. Yeah, okay, we were getting on. to the meat and potato, like so, the meat of this. It was gonna. Mister Ramon. Yeah, in the we could have got to the meat of this if you weren't talking about did the devil write the Bible? Just hang on. Put a pin in this. I this only brought up a what ifism because Chris did. Okay. So blame uh, him. Okay, children. Uh, Mr. Ramon, what's up? Welcome back. What have you got on your mind today? It's a, um, I, I just got this conversation, so I'm not sure. No, no, different question, please. Topic, anything on your mind, anything you want? Um, I, I guess there's a lot on my mind when it comes to Muslim lately. Okay. Yeah, I was discussing this concept of presupposition. Um, and I, I don't really like talk about this much. There, there's some good people on here. But I'm not even hear you super well. Yeah, you just like sound pretty distant. in the background. I can't really hear. I don't uh, know if you, can, if you can fix that and let us know. But yeah, uh, Yehuda, what's up? Yeah, I mean... I'll, I'll just I'll just mention a, a little uh, gripe that I have a little bit on Clubhouse with regards to theology. Like, 
usually when I have these conversations, I'm a rabbinic Jew, and I like to discuss hello, more of like... Hello, uh, can, you hear, can you hear me right yeah, now? Uh, yeah, but give us one second uh, since he's oh, speaking okay. now. So, so, like, I like to discuss more of, like, scriptural concepts rather than these, like, hypothetical, like, is God a man or whatever. Like, obviously, we disagree on you know, the meth, you know, who the Messiah is and that sort of thing. So I want to discuss more in that direction as opposed to these, like, you know, who's speaking? Is it the angel or is it God or whatever? Like, I, I feel like we're not making any progress in this because let's say hypothetically, which I vehemently disagree with, but let's say that every time there's an anonymous angel in the Tanakh speaking, it's some pre-incarnate Jesus angel. Right. This is, seems to be a very common theological point that, that Christians will make, even though I don't see any reference to that in the New Testament. So why are we debating about that all the time? Why can't we debate about Messianic prophecy and how, you know, Jesus, whether or not he fulfilled specific Messianic prophecies? That's just my general kind of rant. Um, I, I don't know where we want to go with that. but. Well <laughs> I understand that from my standpoint. I mean, it's not too dissimilar, like talking about God versus talking about, you know, did Jesus fill or talking about if God is a man versus talking about did Jesus fill which prophecies? Obviously, you know, if there's a debate, someone thinks he didn't. And I think he did. Um, so I would say that. But also real quick, there's one more new person before we go down, you know, these conversational routes. I just wanted to give them a chance to speak to. Oh, and then Mr. Ramon had his mic fixed too. Uh, Nave, what's up? Um, did you have anything to say? Just wanted Hi. to give you a chance to speak. Hi. Hi, how are you? Increasingly worse. How's your day? <laughs> I'm just kind of going to ask a question. Um, uh, sure. That was okay. Like a panel question, I guess. I don't know, to everyone. What yeah, brought you... So, so, like, before having read the Bible and everything, I just thought it would be really interesting one to say, like, what led you to reading it or what led you to choosing Christianity? What read, led me towards Christianity? Um, so what, what led this... you to reading the Bible and getting into it? What what was like the driver prior? My grandfather. Well, I grew up... Okay, Steph's grandfather. I grew up in the church um, and I knew all the, I knew a lot of the stories. Um, so at a point I wanted to, you know, see what the actual Bible had to say about the stories. And I mean, that, that's what got me to it. I knew the stories and, you know, I thought I may as well just read the Bible and see what it has to say about everything. And yeah, so that's why I read it. Yeah. The question is, uh, you know, after reading the Bible, why did you believe it's true? You know, and I would answer that because of the positive reasons in the Bible, to believe that the Bible is the word of God. It's kind of like what I mentioned yesterday about, you know, the positive reasons can never be washed away by any negative reason to not believe in the Bible. The positive reason is always true. You know, and uh, I read one of my gospel tracts this morning and it brought up one of those uh, positive reasons to believe the Bible. And if y'all would like, I can take like five minutes to read it it's i don't know if we have five minutes five uh, minutes is chris <laughs> chris i gave I comments saying I gave... that uh it, 
I gave translations to Daniel just to clarify. Bertrand Russell's objection to the Bible being true and a Christian answer to Bertrand Russell. I'm not exactly asking if the Bible's true or not. I'm asking what's your personal... Uh, how do I say it? What was your personal reason as to what led you to do that? Or like do you know what I mean? So, like, how much thing was, you know, he grew up with it, his sort of family. I'm guessing, obviously, your mum, you know, you did all um, the communion and all of that lot, um, or even Sunday school, which is not really that often now. Um, so this is neither here or there. It's more, I'm just intrigued. Yeah, so Steph's answer is her grandfather. My answer is I grew up in it and wanted to, in the church and wanted to see what the Bible had to actually say for itself. Um, yeah, brother, do you want to answer that real quick? And then we'll get back to Ramon since he has a working mic. Well, my answer was, you know, I believe because I've discovered that the Bible is true. And one of my methods of apology Wait, brother, is to address... she's asking what your introduction to Christianity was, not why you How believe. did you know, like, yeah. how did you know the Bible was true before you read it? And you had to read it to know I it was true. Can, so I can why, give a Jewish what, answer. What get you? I can give a Jewish answer if you want. Is Don't know if that's in the scope of this room. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, yeah, maybe it's to counter it. Yeah, go ahead. The, Re the revelation at Sinai, right? It says that 300,000 men stood at the foot of Mount Sinai and heard God speak. That is a mass revelation that no other religious group claims. So relative to any other religious claim, there's no other group that I know of, including Christianity and Islam, that make the claim that, I mean, I guess you could include Christianity in that with regards to, you know, the authenticity of the, of the Torah itself, right? But independently of that, Judaism has been foundationally, uh, you know, I guess empirically understood to be a true religion based on the testimony. Now, I'm not saying that it's, you know, a slam dunk proof, but I would say relative to every other religious group that I know of, and I know Christianity would, would somewhat fall under that umbrella because it also uh, affirms that claim that, you know, 300,000 men stood at the foot of Mount Sinai and heard God speak, um, which would be more like, you know, a, a couple, at least a couple million people total, right? That would include the women and the children. So because of that mass revelation, um, I would say that. But the yeah, question is, how did you? Okay, I'm just going to answer this for everyone. All right, Steph, I don't, I don't know why. I don't know you if this is intuition stuff or divine or divine revelation. Yeah. So, Nave, again, Steph, her, Steph, I, I'm confident we didn't. Ste she said, "What got you to read the Bible?" Steph's grandfather got her to read the Bible. My upbringing prompted me to read the Bible. People who have a different religion and want to pick a bone with Christianity—that would be why they read the Bible to see what it says, so they can argue against it. Um, no, I so was raised in Judaism, <laughs> so that's also. I, I, I was raised like there you learning. go that's the answer yep sure. you were raised in the faith so your parents okay well actually my parents don't 100 percent keep the torah but they did i was raised in a less Noted. religious in a less religious environment but all of my family are jews so i chose to become shomer shabbat which means i, I keep the sabbath i don't drive on the Sabbath. like i grew up 
going yes. to synagogue, but we would drive on the Sabbath, which is, you know, violating the the commandment not to kindle a flame because of well, combustion. Yeah. Well, let's so. fast track this. Todd, what got you to read the Bible? Well, the same thing why everybody who picks up the Bible to read it is curiosity. And because for some reason, they think maybe, maybe it has a little bit of something in it that has to do with the truth. And they're looking for some kind of truth, or maybe they're just looking for who knows what, but it was usually curiosity. Wow. This Bible that millions of people have in their homes, I've heard negative things about it. I've heard bad things about it. I've also heard maybe good things about it. Something about this man named Jesus. I don't know about him. I don't know who that is, but I hear he was a good person. But this God that I hear about, I don't, I'm not sure I really believe in this God. Maybe I do. Let me see what this Bible has to say about it. So let me pick it up and read some. Usually that's usually what it is. Just, it has something in it. We don't know what it is. Let me pick it up. Let me read it. Um, I've heard the stories, Noah's Ark, the flood of the world, blah, blah, blah. So usually it's just curiosity. What does this thing say about truth? And is it true? So was it curiosity for you then, Todd? Because I'm asking on a personal level. not Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. It's curiosity. Um, I wanted to know. And it wasn't even that I wanted to know. I just was, I don't know, I was drawn to it, like, at some point in my life. I'd always had one when I was in my young, young childhood. There'd always been a Bible that would sit around my house. I, my mom wouldn't really read it that much. My dad wouldn't really read it that much. They wouldn't point me to it. They wouldn't say, hey, go read that because that's got the truth in it. We went to church sometimes. Had a rough childhood. Mom was an alcoholic. Mom died when I was 13. Dad worked a lot like a lot, like never was home, but was always working. But we always had a good time. We'd go on vacations, have fun. Uh, parents were loving, caring, all of these things. But Christianity Christianity wasn't a huge part in my life, but there were, there were little hints of it. Like we'd go to church sometimes. Easter was important. Now my grandparents on my mom's side was was religious, faithful, went to church very much, and that kind of rubbed off on me a little bit. So a little bit later on in life, I thought, you know, there's got to be something in here about something I don't know. And I don't know. I was drawn to it, literally drawn to it. Like I wanted to, at one point I was like, well, I really want to know what's in here. So I picked it up and started reading. And I don't know, at some point it was just a, uh, what do you call it? One of those born again moments. Like all of a sudden it was just so clear. Like I couldn't, I couldn't not see the truth that was in it. It was kind of so, crazy. So, so Nave, are you asking for reasons like why you should read the Bible or have you read the Bible or um, I guess what's the reason for asking out of my curiosity? If you're still speaking. In just a second. Nave, are you there? Yeah, I'm just with right. someone at the oh. moment. Just give me two seconds. Sorry. Okay, sure. Uh, Ramon, since you have your audio better now, uh, what were you saying? Hey, can you hear me? Yes. Oh, perfect. Um, it, it's funny, because um, I, I was actually going to mention 
presupp uh, presupposition. So presupposition when it comes to people's own epistemology. So how do you know what you know is true, right? And I feel like Todd was getting to it. There's a sort of born again moment that I got personally with the Bible. Um, but I, I was in a room earlier today with a bunch of Muslims and I, I was kind of asking them this question as well. How, how do they, why would they have any goals to tell me as a Christian that the Quran is true through their own epistem, you know, epistemology, right? So I, I guess I'm a little bit confused from that. Can, can anyone explain, anyone that's a Christian here, anyone that's familiar with uh, apologetics when it comes to presuppositional apologetics? Because I, I feel like that's what I lean towards, right? Like, I don't need evidence, right? When it comes to the Bible, I, I feel like that's a little bit too Catholic, if that makes sense. <laughs> so if I'm explaining to someone why the Bible is true, I don't feel like I need to talk about Jesus' crucifixion and why it's true based on like a naturalistic standpoint, right? If that makes sense. So like, I, like my starting basis is that the Bible is true because the Bible says so, right? And so what did you want someone to explain? Uh, presupposition. Like what is presuppositional apologetics? Yeah. Oh, kind of that. Like you posit there's a God that created everything and the Bible is his word to us. I mean, and if, yeah. if you, I mean, if you can get people to accept that you win the argument, but that is two giant asks to have them accept. Um, just because that there is a God who created everything and that the Bible is his word to us. Wouldn't so, I mean, Muslims while agree I, with while, that? While, while, while I, while I, uh, well, I, uh, you could nuance it that say, yes, there is a God that exists. Yes. It's this, this, it's, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Ishmael or whatever. Um, but you know, the same Abrahamic God. And then they would say, yeah, the Bible is his word, but his word got corrupted. So now you need to follow the Quran and the parts of the Quran disagrees with in the Bible. Well, yeah. that's where the Bible's corrupted. So like on yeah, its face, they may, well, well, hang on to not derail it though. But so yeah, they would agree to parts of that, but not in the way that Ram, Ramon, is it Ramon or Ramon or how do you say your name by the way? Ramon. Yeah. So not in the way a presuppositionalist would accept. So while I agree with that, that there is a God, the Bible is his word. Um, so I, I agree with presuppositional apologetics, but I, I recognize also that that is two giant asks. And if people will agree to those asks, you may as well just say, repent and believe the gospel, except Jesus is your Lord and savior. And you never need to talk about presuppositional apologetics. That's, that's my, um, that's kind of my feeling on it. So while I totally agree with it, I, I don't, I've never heard someone be argued into Christianity because of that. Um, maybe that's just my experience, but yeah, so that's, that's kind of what I think about it. Yeah. I, 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 take it? I, I mean, that, well, that leads into, I mean, if you want to have a convincing Christian argument, you would have to use a scriptural argument on some level because simply using presupposition and, and this sort of thing, like that's not unique to, to Christianity. Like there's, you know, every, I'd say Judaism has the same presupposition. Islam has the same presupposition. There's a creator of the universe, but where it gets muddy is 
you know, I would say, you know, obviously Jews and Christians would agree on the biblical basis, the narrative of the Tanakh, right? The Old Testament, as it is known in Christian circles. So that's an agreement, but the interpretation of that, right, is where there's a difference in terms of Messianic prophecy. And then that relates to the Muslim, I guess, uh, problem with it, which is the whole you know, God becoming a man, which is also something that within, you know, Judaism, that's problematic. So that, that those are the conversations that have to get into some scriptural level of understanding. We can't just go off of, you know, vague philosophical concepts. We have to get into the scriptures on some level. Well, is there a, is there a Christian that has a more favorable view of, and again, I mean, my, what the content of it, I totally agree with, but is there someone that has a more favorable view of like, arguing for it or using it or something like that that would like to speak yeah that's what i'm asking thank you yeah todd do you do you or chris i i mean that's not something that comes up in this room often um for the reasons i mentioned i, I guess but does anyone yeah todd do you want to speak do you have a more favorable view of how to why you would use that in in like to, to compel someone to christ which i mean i think like you know uh, let me say my last deriding thing about it like you know where paul talks about you know instead of like you know sometimes he would argue and like contend with people on these like kind of intellectual level but he's like look stop stop with these high-minded philosophies um uh, you know and just preach the cross of christ so it doesn't lose its power so like that's kind of my view like I, I mean i think there's something too like you know repent the end is near type thing repent and believe the gospel today is the day of salvation jesus died for your sins receive eternal life i think there's something for the power of the cross of christ um, I don't know if people would consider precept, you know, the f philosophical approach it kind of takes and the worldview thing, high-minded, you know, human wisdom or philosophies. But um, yeah, I mean, I would say if you're going to do that, just preach Jesus. But um, yeah, Todd, do you have a more favorable view of arguing for the precept? Yeah, um, because the unbeliever will not, they don't believe in sin, number one. Um, the Bible is that which speaks about sin. And obviously you also have the Quran that speaks about sin. Um, so basically these two religions will speak about sin. And in order to bring the unbeliever to believe in these things, you usually will want to use scripture of some kind where it points to how the world has fallen and the world is evil. And you have to, show the believer show the unbeliever that that is actual reality in their own life and you have to say you know look at the world look how absolutely horrible it is well they'll argue well there's some good parts in life and life has joy and peace and love and well yes you're right we would call that the grace of god there are parts in life that in a fallen sinful world that there is some light and there is some good things but all in all Look at humanity in general. It's this is, you know, the world is a horrible place. Wars and death and disease and cancer and people die and people steal and people rape and things like that, kill babies. I mean, how did this happen? That's what you got to start with. Where did this come from? How does evil exist? And they say, well, we don't believe in evil. That's just how humans are. Okay, well, if that's if that is what. Uh, you want to believe and so be it but we believe we have the truth as to why and this was written thousands of years ago and how can some quick how do cave dwelling people <laughs> write a book that actually 
pinpoints, actually, well, I shouldn't say pinpoint, but very accurately describes humanity. When philosophers and psychologists today are struggling so hard to figure it out when they don't use religion, they, you know, we've already figured it out. When you get to the mountaintop, hello, the theologians have already been here for centuries. That's kind of a pun that we like to say. So I guess, you know, you have to start with bringing the unbeliever to first believe in their sin. I mean, we all know that that's the gospel. Hey, you're a sinner. And uh, that's number one. Then number two, what do you do about that? Well, you can't get rid of it on your own. You can't fix it by yourself. You're pretty much damned. Uh, You need a savior and he is Jesus Christ. He is actually God's son sent to pay for your sin. I mean, these are things, you know, and you know, believe it, we usually hear that and go, this is some baloney. What is this story? This is crazy. I'm out of here. But some unbelievers actually will come to the truth and say, you know what? You're right. I, uh, I hate when I'm bad. I hate when I lie. I hate when I steal. I don't know. Now, why do you hate when you steal? If you're just matter working as matter works, because that's just how the world is in a naturalistic way. Why do you hate what you do? You should just accept what you do, right? And it's all okay. I'm just human. Well, being human's horrible sometimes. So anyway, that's a bunch of thoughts that we'll throw some spaghetti on the wall and see if it sticks anyway. We'll hope that helps promote. Does it help Nate, promote? Uh, Nate, I Nate, would love Nate, to can I just finish that thought process up? Uh, yeah. Oh, I, I appreciate that. You're so kind. It, yeah, because... I guess where I was coming from, I used to be an atheist, so I did believe through random chemical interactions on just having a random chemical interaction with you. So what what is to say this random chemical reaction that I'm having with you right now is any different than a neo-Nazi murdering a Jew, right? So I, I used to believe, like, and I actually did believe I evolved from pond scum. I was just microbacteria that evolved into a fish and then into a monkey. And then God revealed himself to me. So I, I was just thinking about that a lot today. Um, God, God revealed himself to me and I guess when I was having, you know, that conversation with the Muslim, God revealed himself to him. He believes God revealed himself to him as well. Right. So, uh, Michael, um, you wanted to say something? Yeah, Nate, my brain, my brain's going to explode. Um, so there's so much wrong. Uh, so the uh, first thing I'd like to do is kind of steel man the, the position. So anti Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah. Um, so okay. Um, the the most charitable I can be to presuppositional apologetics is starting with your conclusion. Um, and to two people who employ the presuppositional approach, I will typically say, "You've started with your conclusion. Congratulations." Um, it is now to take off my hat of charity. Uh, presuppositional apologetics is the most dishonest position you can possibly take. This is what it is because, because, and that's all. Um,
if you don't start, like a Cy Tim Brugenkate, you know, kind of a vagabond of presuppositional apologetics, um, was on our podcast probably four years ago now. And I had a really good interaction with him. But, you know, he would say things like, if you don't start with a God of Christianity, you can't know anything. Uh, you don't have a grounding for anything, yada, 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 which is all complete poppycock, of course. But um, that's what that's what presuppositional apologists say. Todd gave a very generous um, presuppositionalist approach. I, in fact, have never heard anything quite that generous um, posing as presuppositional apologetics before. Um, because presuppositionalism is a lot more um, dishonest than that. Um, what I would say is, um, Mr. Please don't embrace presuppositionalism if you want to be taken seriously in any kind of conversation. Because to tell someone that sim something simply is and you can't make sense of anything without accepting that thing is the best way to kill any type of discourse that you ever want to have with someone. You, you will be locking yourself into an echo chamber and you will be sealed off from any type of critical thinking and meaningful discussion with another human being that doesn't share your unbelievably narrow-minded approach to things. My, now, Michael, are you gaslighting me? No, I'm, com I'm completely not trying to gaslight you. One of the other problems, like the slew of problems that you talked about, is um, I'm really curious. And Nate, I'm sorry, to, I'll get off my soapbox in just a minute. Um, you, you said that you used to be an atheist. I'm, so I, I currently am an atheist, of course. Um, I'm very curious as to what it is that convinced you that not only a God exists, that Christian God exists. And I, some of the other things that you said was, you know, I think I was pond scum and then became a fish, which became a monkey, uh, which mo violates the law of monophily because chordates, which are fish, um, like fish is actually not a taxonomical term. Uh, chordates, uh, although they share a universal common ancestor with primates and such like that, um, the, the law of monophily would never allow for a fish to turn into a monkey. That just doesn't happen. So that kind of makes me think that maybe you didn't have a clear understanding of how evolution works in the first place. So it was easy for someone with a, with a Bible and a soapbox to talk you out of it. Um, and the, the idea of morality um, kind of being this, well, you know, I'm just a, a, a chemical reaction. Well, our brains come to chemical reactions and if you break it down to the lowest common denominator, though it's not necessarily fun or easy to say or even admit, we are bags of chemicals. Human beings are meat tubes with, you know, an opening on one end for, you know, food to go out of and an opening on the other end for the waste to, to expel. So we, we are quite literally bags of chemicals. But that doesn't in any way limit us from the ability to show or feel empathy, which kind of flies in the face of what you were talking about, you know, the difference between, oh, you know, someone who steals and someone who doesn't steal. So I want to have long, long talks with you, but not if you take on Presa. Thanks. Uh, well, I'd love to respond, but since he addressed you uh, with a vengeance, Ramon, uh, feel free to respond first. I feel like he's... If you like... Uh, no, Nate, I, I do feel like he's gaslighting me. Well, I, I mean, I think um, as hard as it is to admit, I will. I mean, he, he kind of like, you know, what I said nicely is kind of like him saying it the mean way, um, you know, about kind of why I, I don't 
although I believe the presuppositional apologetics because it, it's easy. Because before I ever knew anything about it, before I even ever heard of what presuppositional apologetics even was, before I even heard the term worldview, I had had this belief in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior for many, many years. So whenever I heard presupp, uh, the argument in apologetics, I'm like, oh, well, yeah, sure, I, I believe this. I believe this anyway. Um, but I, I, it's easy for me to see how people who don't, and I, I do like what Todd said. I've never heard it presented that way either. It usually starts with worldview and everyone screams at each other for an hour. Um, so I appreciate what Todd said and how he did it. Maybe maybe you can be the next uh, pre-sup leader, Todd. Um, but outside of Todd, it, it's usually, you know, claims that are, are too, um, which, you know, the only thing I would disagree with Michael, except I would say it nicer, how I did, is when he said it's it's dishonest, there are definitely people who are dishonest about it. Um, and, you know, we, we all know those people. Um, but I would say it's not inherently dishonest. Like, it, depending if you're trying to say this is absolute because this, and, and you know what you're doing is kind of deceptive, then yes, I get it. Uh, but to the person that, that I mean, like me, goodness, um, if they're like, okay, give us your best layout. I'm like, okay. I, and like up front, I'm like, well, look, you got to posit a couple things that are maybe not so palatable, but think about this. So if it's kind of like to thought provoke, not to be like, uh, there, you're in a box, checkmate. But if it's like, well, think about this. And if this, then you should think about this. And here's the next leap we're making. I'm noting it's a leap, but think about this. So, I mean, I, I can't say the whole thing is dishonest. Like, I, I wouldn't say that because it goes to intent. But I, I also understand how lots of people use it that way. And it's usually kind of like, I, I see that as kind of like how they're, um, it's, it's to win something for themselves and like make themselves look good or get followers rather than, I don't know, kudos for Christ. Um, so, I, again, I gosh, I wish I could be more sympathetic to this. I, I don't hate the pre-sub. I mean, I agree with it. But I, I just personally um, would would not really use it for I don't know what else to say. Gosh, I feel like a bad, bad person right now. But um, yeah, that's it. I just preach Jesus. There, there's nothing. So the, the one thing I'd say is, I mean, my biases, like I accept my biases. Nate, you know, you and I know, you know, the Rumpelstiltskin we're talking about. Um, but and yeah, so I accept my biases. And, and Mr. I apologize if, if what I you know said came across as gaslighting. But, um, you know, to, to quote he who shall not be named. I've been doing this a long time and talking to people, talking to lots of different people who have these views. And so it's like, it, it's what I'm coming with the, the way I'm coming at it while not particularly charitable is not meant to be, uh, in, in an antagonistic, uh, fashion. Right. But so I, I apologize if that's the way uh, that it came across. And, and the, the other thing that, that I would say is Nate, like you're totally not a, a bad person at all. How novel well, coming from an atheist, of course. Well, well, but, <laughs> Just but kidding. How, how novel is it for someone to want to have good reasons and oh, shock and awe evidence for the things that they believe? This is not a bad thing. This is the most honest you can be. Like having good reasons for what you believe. Cool. Not just because, well, if you don't if you don't accept this, you can't make sense of anything. Which is like I said, poppycock. Like on the face of it. Anyway, sorry. Well, brother, what do you uh, think about all this? I, I don't think I know your stance on presuppositional apologetics uh, one way or another. I was just thinking whenever I was listening to that, and of course, uh, they, an atheist would deny it, you know, but it's like a Christian tenet that uh, uh, everybody believes that there is a God according to Romans, you know, they, that we're without an excuse. So, you know, it's a human presupposition that God exists. You know, an atheist may call this presupposition something else. 
other than God, you know, but everybody has a creation story. So would you no. say precept good or precept bad to use for an argument to your case? I think there's a good uh, pre presupposition is, is good. You know, it's, uh, we can't use presuppositionalism as an excuse because everybody has presuppositions. That I wholeheartedly agree with. Everybody comes to the table with a couple of presuppositions. That I wholeheartedly agree. And Nate, I'm sure you heard me laugh when he said Romans 1, um, even though I was on mute. Um, but well, no, he, I mean, he knew it too. Yeah, I mean, yeah he no, it's, it. It, it's funny. But like the whole thing, like, uh, like yeah, to what James said, and, and actually I have to go quiet for about 10 minutes, but uh, I will definitely be back because uh, I want to have this conversation a lot. And James can certainly, uh, can, you know, can, can certainly hold, uh, hold his own when it comes to this. But yeah, I would say that it's interesting. But to go back, because there was one part that I know I missed about what Mr. said, and I wanted to address it. He said, uh, and, and actually Todd talked about this as well as, you know, kind of, you know, the, the thought, of, thought of sin. Like, and in that, the first point I would concede, you're right. I don't think sin is a thing. But if you look at sin as a transgression against God's law, it would be silly for me to say, yes, I believe in sin, but I don't believe in God, right? Because if, if there's no God, there's no such thing as sin, right? Um, so, of course, that, that, would, that would only follow. But anyway, I'll be quieter so for about 10 minutes. I'll be listening, but I won't be able to talk. And then I want so much to talk about this more. Thanks. Uh, well, so what are you thinking, Ramon? Or, um, yeah, what are your thoughts? If you're speaking. Yeah, can you hear me? Yes. No, yes, I, we hear I, you. Oh, okay, thank you. Yeah, I do believe you guys bring up a lot of good points. Because that that's like the bridge point I've been trying to have. Because I am interested in apologetics and presupposition. It makes the most sense to me, right? I, I don't think, you know, I can sit here and convince an atheist Jesus died on a cross and rose after three days because uh, I'm able to show him, I, I, I don't know, books from Jophichus or Flavius, whatever his name is, right? So there's something deeper that I have to dig into. Because um, I understand, like, the atheist is coming from a naturalistic, materialist point of view. Because he does believe, after all, he is a monkey, right? So if he believes he's a monkey, he doesn't believe in miracles. What else am I supposed to say to him? Well, I, I did catch something. and I, I wish there was someone who was, like, really into precept apologetics, like, and used it and maybe even had some success doing it uh, to, to be fair, unless there just aren't any, like, I, I don't want to be so heavy handed against it, but I mean, you know, I'm also being honest. So, I mean, I wish we had someone to, to fairly represent the other side, but I, I mean, you know, I did catch a couple of times. You said I like three times. Um, and I know that, you, you know, you wouldn't have done it on purpose, but what you said is, you know, I have to do this and I have to do that and I have to dig and I have to present this. Which, I mean, I totally believe the Bible, you know, that there is a spiritual component. And, you know, no one comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws them. So someone can argue someone into something, and even if it's convincing, and even if it argues them into something, they can be argued out of it just the same. 
but truly, if the spirit is drawing them, and if the if the person, you know, um, if the spirit is drawing and the person is compelled because you preach the cross, anyone, I, you, me, that's what I mean by you, whoever preaches Christ and Him crucified, then they're going to be drawn, and they're where you may think that's crazy. Why would someone believe that? Why would someone do that? Just like testimony, right? Like you'll overcome by the word, blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. And then people will say, well, why should I be convinced by your testimony? You shouldn't. On its face, it's it's not reasonable for someone to be convinced of a God because of someone else's personal experience. Yet we see it happen all the time. So there is some, I mean, there's not that many dumb, gullible people in the world. There's a lot, but not that many. So, I mean, there really is a spiritual component. So I think by the time we start talking about like what we have to do, what we have to do, well, Jesus tells us what we have to do. We have to tell people about him and how they can have eternal life. And if they want to learn more, we will certainly tell them. If they don't, we shake the dust from our feet and leave them to their fate. Um, and I really believe God. So I believe that he'll, he'll do what he says. He says our job is simply to tell them Christ crucified eternal life. If they want that, if the Spirit's drawing them and they respond, wonderful. Now they're going to be in your shoes doing the same thing to other people. Um, so, I mean, that, that's kind of the thing. Like, I, I know you did, you would have probably phrased it differently. Um, but, yeah, I think that's it. Like, trying to do stuff in our own power. Like, we're not saving anyone. The best we can do is make arguments that convince people until, like, someone from another persuasion comes along and makes a more compelling argument, and now they're that. Um, anyway, so I don't know if that gives you anything uh, to consider. Oh, thank you, Nate. Because I, I, I do believe at the end of the day, it is God that saves. So I would have phrased that differently. So I appreciate that. Uh, Chris, are you still speaking? Or are you tied up in network cables? Mm, what, what, yeah, what, like, what do you want to know? Well, do you, um, I mean, his, uh, Ramon was asking about, oh, let us know when you can talk. Go ahead. Well, let's see. Oh, Ramon was asking, like, you know, if there's any, like, favorable way to do presuppositional apologetics. And, you know, obviously the atheists are like, no, it's awful. And even me as, like, a Christian, it's like, I, I don't really, that's not the way I'd go. Um, so as I was looking for someone, and Todd did a good job, except Todd took kind of an unorthodox approach. Um, but, yeah, the presup, like, good way to go or just causes more chaos and animus or... Can you present it in a favorable light that doesn't have people pulling out their hair? Look, I haven't read Ventil, nor have I read, um, you know, uh, what's his face, uh, Bonson. So Matt Yester would be a better person to ask this question to. But to be honest, like, you know, I think it's just another tool in our toolbox. So if you've got somebody who, you know, doesn't believe in, you know, the, the nature of reality, then presuppositionalism is probably a good place to start. If you've got somebody who agrees about what the nature of reality is, then, you know, it probably is, you know, kind of a waste of time. So does that make any sense? Just, it's just another tool in the toolbox. So we use classical apologetics, we use presuppositionalism, and we use, um, you know, the, we use the idea of um, evidentialism as well. So all all of those are valid ways of coming at it, just depending on the person that you're dealing with.
James, that makes sense. are you off your call? Or does that make sense, Ramon? Whatever what Chris was saying. Yeah, I'm off my call. I wanted to talk about the chemicals. Like, just like hand-waving away that we are chemicals and the misunderstanding that these chemicals, especially ones in our brain, help us to be the person that we are and have rational thought to where we know or we have a, uh, a, a thought process, a consciousness about us, about whether or not what we are doing is in the best interest of, of myself or anybody else around me, right? So like knowing not to steal or knowing not to um, injure somebody without, you know, necessity of protecting yourself, right? Like unnecessary harm. Like we can come to that understanding based upon how we sense things. Like if we have unnecessary harm placed upon ourselves, we, we uh, okay, look, I don't like that. So why would I want to do that to somebody else? So it's those chemicals that help us come to that understanding, right? Why is that a big problem? Who said it was a big problem? I'd uh, say chemicals with a conscience, and so we can't discount God. I mean, you know, not to get into how do you know what if isn't, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, you know, that's a possibility. So if we're a bag of chemicals um, and we have a consciousness that we don't really understand yet. Um, anyways, but why is that a problem? Who said being no, a bag of chemicals it, is a problem? No, it's, it's the saying that we are just chemicals. So why not just accept? Like someone, I think it was Todd saying like, I feel bad. Why? Why is it someone feels bad when they do something? Well, because they have a conscious. And he's like, he's saying, well, we're just a bunch of chemicals doing random acts. Well, there's more to it than just that. That's what I'm getting at. It seems like that that thought process is just hand waving the process of how we come to understand things. The chemical process James. in our brain. What? Well, I think you could say that. Well, I think you could say the chemical. I mean, the chemicals. You're saying it's exclusively chemicals because of a consciousness. And I would even posit, as a believer, you know, my claim is that I would say the consciousness is guided by God. So if you're saying it's only because of chemicals, I'd say, well, being a bunch of chemicals is fine, but the the part that makes us feel good or bad could be pulled on by our consciousness, which yeah. comes from God. But Ramon, go ahead. No, no, no. That's what you're getting at. James, I'm I'm making that presupposition about you as an atheist, right? I'm saying that you believe your random chemical reaction is okay. speaking to me at this moment. Okay. So so what how how can you develop any sort of coherent worldview based off of that? Through the process of conceptual analysis using this amazing organ, my brain, to help me understand things through the inductive process and experience. Why is that an issue? But you, you, you do believe I'm a random chemical reaction that's talking to you right now, I, right? I do, I do believe you are a sentient human being with the ability to speak logically and sensibly. So it's, that, that, it's more than just it's more than just random chemical processes. Yeah, I also don't understand the addition of the word random in there. Yeah, I don't what, why what, throw what, random what, what is the consistency? What what, what, what do you mean by random? If I had a wife, for example, 
what 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 would make me unlove her besides a random chemical reaction that's what i'm saying no but i'm asking what do you mean when like, you say random i'm talking about the laws of uniformity right I've, like i'm there, lost, there's a man. reason i, I don't what, no well rich hang on set out for a minute you just got back is why you're lost no i, so I know catch up I, I, the, I was just catch up James, to the conversation for just a minute. yeah i understand uh, and i don't mean to overstep on anyone i i just no, wanted because uh, yeah, yeah i just wanted to get clarification on what you actually meant when you said random because that seemed like the staple of contention between either both sides of your point or between james's point and yours and then you throw in what would what would cause me to not love my wife anymore? And that doesn't follow with your random chemical processes. So we know through relationships, there are events that can happen to cause people to allow their emotions to guide them not to be involved with somebody anymore, right? So James, why, you... why, why, why throw random chemical processes in that equation? So, so James, you, you take certain things for granted, it sounds like. That, that, where, that's what where, I'm getting where, at. Wait, wait. Where did you get that from From what I said? Where so, am I so, taking anything for – hang on. Where am I taking anything for granted? So you, you have a daughter, right? She loves you, right? Do you, do you pre-assume she loves you? Do, hang on. What is this about now? What are you getting do, do at? You, do you pre-assume your, your daughter loves you? Is what I'm asking. No, I don't pre-assume my daughter loves me. Oh, okay, so that that's the fundamental disagreement. With what? What do we do? I'm lost, to be honest with you. I you're, you're, really... you, I asked you I asked you I asked you a specific question. You you're claiming I take things for granted. So I'm asking, what is it I'm displaying to you? I'm taking anything for granted. What did I what did I convey? I'm taking something for granted. Uh, well, yeah, maybe let's put a pin in this because Adam is here. So let's see. But it sounded like you presume that you you don't presume that your daughter loves you. And that was the disagreement, which would imply that he yeah. presumes she does love him. But let, let hang on one second there, because uh, I'm wondering. Like Dope was here earlier and left and came back, and I, I want to like get as many people speaking as possible. But uh... I'm back too. Oh, okay. We'll we'll put a pin in that and come right back. So make sense of that. Figure out what you guys want to say. But uh, Dope, actually, since you were here earlier and uh, didn't get a chance to speak, uh, yeah, would you like to say anything or have a question or topic of interest? Um, sure, yeah. Uh, thanks for offering me the mic, actually. Um, yeah, usually I'm just in these rooms to listen. I'm usually just in the audience. Um, I guess, like, I don't know what you guys were just talking about before I got in here, so I'm not gonna necessarily, you know, sure. go in here. I'll just bring up something I myself was thinking. So, I always wanted to discuss something regarding, like, solar scripture in a room like this. So, like, I don't know, it's probably been discussed before. I just wasn't in there. But, um, like, what would you say, because I've been in debates with Catholics specifically, um, and I myself am not a Catholic, of course, but uh, I, I don't know. It, it's hard to, I think Chris Raw was in a room where I brought this up myself. Um, it's hard to 
come up with certain ways to not, you know, combat it. Cause I'm, I'm an open-minded person per se, but I, I think a lot of the, the arguments that certain Catholics put forth about how sola scriptura is not the most, you know, is not, you know, factual, at least it's just not the best way to go about being a Christian. I don't know. Um, sometimes I hear the arguments and I kind of, you know, it's, it's interesting to me. I always wanted to discuss something like that. Uh, so I, I didn't really get the question, but I'll just give you my, I mean, we actually talked about this yesterday. Um, and if Chris can speak, I'd, I'd like to hear him. I know he's going to say though, but I, I would say, you know what I'm say. I mean, if it's the same thing you always say, <laughs> but uh, I will say where, let me know, maybe, maybe I've persuaded you, but I think Sola Scriptura, if all someone has is a Bible, there's no council, there's no one to agree or disagree with, they're on an island. Congratulations. It will serve you well. Open, seeking heart, read that Bible. God will draw you to himself. You will get the picture. Um, you may not get like a super deep theology or something like that, but you will get the saving message of the cross of Christ in the Bible. So sola scriptura, that's what I mean by that. Just the Bible. Now, Chris, what I would think you would say, and Otto, we'll get to you right next. But uh, what I think you would say is basically what I said, but you would also include the councils, uh, you know, in the proper interpretation and stuff like that. And you would say, even if someone has tradition, that may be fine, but do not put that on the same authoritative level as uh, the scripture. The scripture is the ultimate authority. Um, is that kind of what you would say? That's also the Catholic argument. So wait, you know. but they, they put tradition on the same level as scripture. Well, they which think is the they problem. Do, but they oh. the problem the, here's the problem is they're completely inconsistent about it. So. In one breath, they'll say, oh, no, the, the, you know, the church is, you know, the, the authority of the church is not as authoritative as the scripture. And then they'll turn right around and say the opposite. So they have a problem there. So they, they contradict themselves constantly. But the, the issue with Sola Scriptura is that we get our final authority for faith and practice. What the problem with the Roman church, the Roman Catholic church is, is that they have something called Sola Ecclesia which means only the church. So we're going to interpret scripture in light of the church. We're going to interpret um, everything in light of what the sacred tradition is. And so when we say sola scriptura, it's not to say that we don't have a tradition. It's not to say that we don't, you know, have certain doctrines. It's not to say that we don't include the councils, um, you know, in terms of faith and practice and, and all that stuff. What it is to say is that our final authority for what the teachings of the apostles are is the scripture of Theonistos, what is God-breathed. That's all. Uh, what do you think about that, uh, Dope? Did that answer your question? Yeah, you yeah. One? I mean, it, it kind of it brought up a, a question for me because I, I would say, like, what would you say to the Catholics who say, um, the reason, well, Sola Scriptura itself allows for, you know, many different interpretations and they often critique Protestants because, you know, there's no such thing as a singular Protestant church, of course, because there's like way too, way too many denominations at this point, I'd say, because everybody's coming up with their own interpretation. Then you also have some heretical views um, that have spawned out of what people would label, you know, just Sola Scriptura. And, and I think what Catholics come to the table with is they say that you need a more authoritative, you know, and the church, the church to 
declare what is actually gospel and not rely on, you know, I'd say like a the flawed human interpretation that many people come up with. And I would say that is a flawed human interpretation that they have come up with. I'd say the first century church <laughs> did did the first century church did just fine without thousands of years of councils and guys wearing funny hats going around saying they're the one true church. All the right. first century church did a just fine job, so I will be like them. Hey, not that's the, what I would say. Not to mention, not to yeah. mention Nate. Uh... I'm 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 with Nate 100. percent Uh, and I just want to throw this out there. Where do we get the notion of free will? Uh, the hang on, that's gonna that's, that's gonna totally that's gonna take topic, that yeah. that's gonna that's gonna take a totally different thing. But we've got we've got another guy asking questions first. But we we could get to that. But that's gonna take a totally different turn. So so the idea also that you know because of the Protestant Reformation we have all these different denominations and churches it is not because of the Protestant denomination first of all the idea that the Roman Catholic Church is a monolith and all Catholics believe the same thing is complete <laughs> fantasy it's complete fantasy i mean you, you it's just it's it's propaganda at best it's unhinged fantasy at worst and you can demonstrate this by picking up your phone and looking for Catholic disagreements on Google, and you will come with thousands of pages, okay? So Catholics don't all believe the same thing. The Catholic Church doesn't believe the same thing. The Pope, if we're going to do that, then like, then let's have everybody tell me how great, all my Catholic friends tell me how great Pope Francis is. Because, <laughs> you know, they're, they're going to be hard-pressed to do so, okay? Now, um, you know, the other idea here is, the Protestant Reformation came about in a time when the church was separating from the state. And so one of the big problems the Protestant Reformation had was that they were attempting to rebuild the idea of Christian Europe in a Protestant sense. Okay. And that's when they got into trouble. And so you had the Baptists come out and say, like, we don't want anything to do with government. Right. That was one of the main things about Baptists. Um, and so the idea that we have all of these denominations and all this stuff because of the Protestant Reformation is, again, Catholic propaganda that is fantasy. Well, the reason that we have, you know, however many denominations you want to say, and it's way less than they claim, um, is that the church no longer, I'm sorry, the state no longer controls the church. And so because of that, people have freedom to go off and do whatever the, the nonsense that they are going to do without being burned at the stake or threatened by an army. Okay. And so, you know, especially in the United States, the, the home of all of the major cults in Christianity is the United States because the United States had a sense of religious freedom and they did not. You know, it's not for lack of trying. I mean, Joseph Smith was killed in a shootout when he was in prison. Okay, so um, from the Mormons, you know, and there's just no end of this nonsense that because of the Protestant Reformation, we no longer have one church. It would have happened whether the Protestant Reformation ever happened or not. There would have been, because of the diminishing power of the state within the church, or the, the church's control of the state, you would have had the same type of, you know, separation and disagreements amongst people because people are humans. 
And uh, Alda, I did say you were next, and you've been waiting a while. Uh, what's up, Alda? Yeah, I have a question, right, since uh, this is Ask a Christian. So, I want to ask, is the God of the Old Testament the same God of the yep. New Testament? Yes. yes. Where's your evidence? The Bible, existence. No, but you have to give me proof that the God of the Old Testament I have is to? the same God of the New Testament. What, what do you mean proof? You because mean, like, you can't, you you can't make a... a claim without defending your claim or giving evidence. No one's made a claim. You've made a claim that the God of the Old Testament is not the God of the New Testament. We're simply no, no, I, that. No, I asked the question. Right, and you're, in your question is a claim. What? So within yes, within your question is a claim that the God of the Old Testament is not the God of the New Testament. You're no, telling there us isn't. to prove it. Okay, cool story. You so, could have uh, said so, no. You could have said okay, no. Okay, so so hang on. So I, I I actually answered. I don't know if you just weren't listening, but I said the Bible. So you asked what the evidence was, and I said the Bible. So th this should go like this. This is as amicable as we can be. What is your evidence? The God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New Testament. My evidence is the Bible. If you say you don't believe the Bible or the Bible is corrupted, then do what you want. No, you can't just say the Bible. You have to give a specific verse. You can't just well, say the, read the whole Bible. What? Okay, no, no. Okay, that's like me. I don't even know. I don't even know what you believe. Let's just say you believe something, and I say, okay, explain this and explain why you believe some like you know universal, like the most important universal truth you hold to, but you can only give me one sentence to do it. That is ridiculous. Like, for example, if you ask me where Jesus said that he's not God, I'll give you John 17, 3. I won't tell you, read the whole Bible. <laughs> there's, and there's we would verses. say you're an uneducated moron. There, okay, no, well, hang on. So, so, I, so I will say we're, uh, where it's the same. The same, same <laughs> if you say where Jesus is God and you give me your, quote, evidence, and then you ask another question that's a lot more complex than, like, a one-verse answer, like, where is the same? Okay, well, I will say, you know, well, the verse that says, I'm the same today, yesterday, and forever. How about that? That covers the Old Testament. That covers the New Testament. That covers the entire existence from beginning to end. So there you go. There's I'll, one I'll, verse. I've, I've been told that the Trinity is not mentioned anywhere in the Bible, especially wait, the hey, Old Testament. Wait, wait, that's stop, false too. Stop, 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 speed, stop speeding along. You ask for a verse, even though it's incredibly unfair and ridiculous of you to do so. I gave you a verse. Now, before you shotgun to another question, would you like to respond to the answer I gave you? What's the I verse? gave you a verse. The one that says I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. Give me one moment and I'll cite it for you. No worries. Sure. By the way, you could also Google this the same as I am. Actually, do that. Let's see who gets it first. We could also do Act 7 with Stephen's speech, where he goes through the history of Israel to show that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the, the Most High God, that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, okay. could, I mean, there's just a million places we could go to say that there's that we need to give you verses to instantiate your argument is ridiculous. That's uh, Hebrews 13.8. Yeah, so I'll just read it. So that... That doesn't prove that that's the same God of the Old Testament. Does it mean the New Testament? Or you can go to Revelation, uh, Revelation 20, 20 something. It's either 19 or 21 that says, mm -hmm. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Will that one work? I mean, you want one verse. Who I said mean, that? I don't want to, I don't, I, Jesus, I don't want to be an overachiever, but I mean, we could probably pull out quite a few. Jesus, so I am the Alpha and Omega. 
Jesus yeah. is the Yes. What are you talking about, man? Je- like, Jesus was not alive when they found Moses. Oh my Jesus goodness. was alive. The person, the John human eight fifty eight. The human being Jesus didn't exist. The name Jesus didn't exist until he showed up in human form. However, that Jesus has always existed. That's a fundamental issue. Whether or not you believe it, you can believe how the Christian story goes. Like the person Jesus has always existed. The human flesh and blood Jesus has existed whenever he was incarnate here on earth. What does Jesus Whether look or not like? You... So, Auda, let's try Your this. face. So, so Auda, let's try this. So, do you believe that the Injil is corrupted? Yes. Do you believe the Injil, before it was corrupted, was the word of Allah? Yes. Okay. So now, if you believe that the Injil was the word of Allah, but Allah was powerless to stop its corruption, what makes you think that the Quran similarly would escape corruption, even though Allah already demonstrated his inability to keep the Injil from being corrupted? So he said a lot of false things. They said powerless, right? It's not powerless. It's God can do what he wants. Oh, so Allah uh, same, same, as he, for the he same wanted reason, the Injil to be corrupted? For, for the same reason that you guys believe God took on human form and died. No, 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 as hold, God on, hold on, hold on, So, so did, for him to did be able to Allah, forgive you. Hold on, Auda. Did Allah want the Injil to be corrupted? Was that his plan? Chris, can I answer the question? He no, which no, one no. Makes, answer my which question. Which one makes more sense? Which one makes more answer sense? Answer my question. Did Allah want the Injil to become corrupted? Yes this or no? Does Allah want want something? This is a whole completely different discussion now. Okay, we're talking about did, does Allah even want fine, anything? Allah, did, did Allah allow the Injil to be corrupted? Or yes. were people more power? Okay, so he did. So then why would Allah not allow the Quran to be corrupted? Uh, because the Quran... Because he... Because he, he okay, so, so... But again, he allowed the Injil to be corrupted. What makes you think that the Quran would similarly not be corrupted. Because the Quran you have is to memorized. give me an answer. Because the what? Quran is memorized by over 200 million people. Oh, sure it is. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a cute answer. But, like, well, what makes you think that it that it wasn't corrupted in the 10th century? Because what the Quran makes you think it wasn't corrupted in the 9th century? I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you. Okay, cool. So, uh, sorry, so the Quran, e- each year, okay, in Ramadan, in uh-huh. Tarawih prayer, we do a complete revision in thousands and thousands of mosques all over the world. We read the Quran from from front to back every single year. So it is impossible right. for it to be corrupted. Oh, it's impossible for it to be corrupted. 100%. Now, do you know anything about textual criticism of the of the Injil? Yes, what's the, what does that mean? Yeah, exactly. Okay. I hate I hate I hate to keep uh, bouncing back and forth, but just to tie up a couple of loose ends, so um, you know, overachiever me. There's just a few verses I'd like to read real quick. Just a few. You asked for one, but here's a few. Take your pick. Malachi 3.6. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Doesn't um, matter. What? Doesn't matter. I'll tell you why it doesn't matter. So, doesn't so, matter what, what, wait, 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 wait. Hang on. Wait, wait. Does it, does it not matter because you asked a question that you didn't really want to know the answer to or care? Well, no. assuming that's true. Oh, hang on. Assuming that's true. Maybe someone. I, I want to do a service to everyone. You know, so if someone wants to know the answer to your question, even if you don't care, just bear with me. 
and let me answer this question for those people who do care and are honest. Okay, so James 117, there's only a few. James 117, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change. Um, Hebrews 13.8, we talked about a couple more, just a couple more, to the honest person asking, or who would like an answer. Revelation 1.8, I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Two more. Revelation 21.6. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. This is good for you. Listen to this. To the thirsty, I will give water of life without cost from the spring of life. So if anyone wants this free, this free gift, redundant as it is, this gift of God of eternal life, freely ask, freely receive, repent and believe the gospel and have eternal life. There you go. So whoever would actually like to know the answer yeah. to that question, there you go. So I'll tell you what, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because the people of the Old Testament know what it say, that they believe Jesus is God or was God. Okay, so I'm not saying... Completely different category. I'm, I'm not saying that you guys don't believe that Jesus was always God. I'm saying the people in the Old Testament and the time of Moses know what does it say that Jesus is God. No, no what does it say anyone worship right, God. It's because of Moses. progressive revelation. So no, it's did, because Jesus so... is not God. No, you're again. You're making a silly argument. Um, so here's the problem: is that when we talk about progressive revelation, would Moses have known anything about Jeremiah and the prophet? Hmm? Would Moses have known anything about Jeremiah the prophet? Would Moses? In case have... there's confusion, he's asking a question he actually does want the answer to. So, right. Uh, who's Jeremiah? Would Moses. He's a prophet. Oh my gosh. How do, you, how do you say his name in Arabic? I don't know. I have no idea. Look it up. I mean, it's a whole book in the Bible. It's one of the longest prophecy books in the Old Testament. Did he come I'm after Moses? Sure, I'm pretty sure yes, you recognize Jeremiah as a prophet. If he came after yeah. Moses, then, then he's not a real prophet. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus came I'm after not... Moses, and you think he's a real prophet. Oh, man, no, are you even a Muslim? Do you even no, know, unless, unless, you even unless it's Islam? Jesus. You should go unless back to Jesus. Mosque. Unless it's you Jesus know. or Muhammad. Anyone else that came after Moses, if it's not Jesus or Muhammad, then it's oh, not a real prophet or messenger. Um, hang on, one second. Um, Michael, if you're back, and if you're not slamming your head against the wall yet, I, I, I did um, segue a little bit. We have two conversations. Michael said he would love to keep talking about whatever he said, just to take a breath and give Michael a minute to weigh in. Yeah, uh, I... Ramon still has to talk to him. Yeah, it was, it, they, were, they, were gentle, they were gentle slams, though. Um, it's, yeah, anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, mister, um, are you, are you interested in continuing our conversation? Who, me? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's no, go no, ahead. that's Mr. Ramon. M Mr. Sorry. Yes. Sorry, I wasn't looking at my phone, did so your question is, am I interested to finish the conversation? No, not uh, you, wrong dude. person. He's not talking to you. He's Let's just happy. see what happens. <laughs> I was speaking with Mister. I don't know. Maybe this will be fun. Uh, Alda, would you take a presuppositional approach to Islam? Would you say, <laughs> like, you, you must believe in Islam because Allah exists and the Quran is his word to you? Would you say something like that for Islam? Yeah, Why? that's part of it. Yeah, that's part of it. Okay, great. You can talk to Michael. Hello, Michael. Hey, Lord. 
Michael, are you holding a snake? Because in the Bible it says, whoever gets baptized can hold a snake. Um. Yeah. So yeah, that is me holding a snake. That's not one of mine, although I do keep pythons of my own. Do you drink um, poison? Um. No, I wouldn't drink poison. That would be stupid. Are you baptized? Uh, I was baptized as a child, yes. So in the Bible it says whoever is baptized has the superpowers to uh, hold snakes and swing them around and drink poison. Yeah. So, so yeah. So there, okay. So there's, well, there's a few problems with that. One, um, snakes aren't poisonous. They're venomous. Um, poison is ingested. Venom is in, injected. You could, you could take the, the venom from a rattlesnake. And so long as you didn't have an open sore in your mouth or an ulcer or a tear in your intestines, you could drink it and no harm would come to you whatsoever. So this is just, no, I don't want to be nitpicky, but that's just a fundamental misunderstanding of no, no, you know, these are two and how things things. work. There's two different things I'm saying. In the Bible, it says whoever's baptized, they can Dude, I'm an atheist. Drink, drink Dude, you're barking up the wrong tree. I'm an atheist. Your, your God oh, is just as made up. Even worse. Okay, carry on. Yeah, your, your, your God is just as made up, friend. Do you have a God? Of course not. I'm an atheist. What? What does that mean that you don't have a God? Um, I am an atheist. I do not have a God. I don't know how to break it down. I, I, I could use smaller words, but then it would just be so, like monosyllabic. Right, but just because you don't believe in God doesn't mean that you don't have a God. Well, I, okay. So either you'll either take me at my word or not. I do not have a God. You will either believe that or you won't. No, no, you have a God because God's the one that created you. Sir, are you telling me what I have now? Yes. Oh, okay, cool. Do you have access to my private mental states? No, no, I know what I, I believe oh, okay, that what you're saying is true. How the hell do you true. know what I have? No, I believe what you're saying is true. Do not but... prescribe onto me. No, you God can exists. ask me questions. You can ask me questions, but do not tell me what I have. You asked me a question, I answered you. If your retort is no, uh, then just move on. I think you have uh, struggling with uh, listening to my analogy. My point is that. For example, if I create an action figure and the action figure has free will and can think that I created him, but it doesn't think that I created him, regardless if he thinks or doesn't think that I created him, I still created him. So, Michael, regardless if you think or you don't think or you believe or you don't believe that God created you, God still created you, which is cool the point. Story. Cool story. It's if not a story. Imagine, yeah, it, it is a story. It's, it is all, they're all stories. Um, if you had the capacity to demonstrate what you were saying is true, you'd really have something. But just because an illiterate epileptic peasant went into a cave and wrote a bunch of stuff down doesn't make it true. So can you prove to me that God doesn't exist? Um, no, but I can't prove to you that there isn't a very tiny teapot orbiting Saturn either. Why that not? doesn't mean that there's any validity in the claim. So do you believe in gravity? Uh, yes, and gravity can be measured. But have you seen it? Okay, D did you hear what I said? No, yeah, but yeah, gravity can said. be... Okay, okay. If you want a demonstration of gravity, drop a pencil. Okay, a drop a, drop a lead pipe on your head. It doesn't matter. You could, we can measure gravity, right? Your, your argument is pointless. If you want a demonstration okay. we of also God, can't see wind but we can measure wind if you want a demonstration of God look outside your window and look at the trees and the sky actually Michael oh, I'll just clarify can I clarify the gravity thing to make it even more potent we can we can see gravity uh, say gravitational lensing uh, dark matter stuff like well, that. well there's like a ton of background I don't know if anybody's hearing you yeah, right you now. yeah you have a lot of static Robert um, I mean, carry on yeah no yeah I 
yeah, Robert, I, I get that. But I, my, my way of doing it was just more fun. Um, yeah. So look, look outside, <laughs> look outside. Okay, sure. Let's, let's run with, let's run with that silly argument. Um, okay. Let's look at just our little speck of sand, right? Just our little speck of sand in the galaxy. Um, you, I, I'm assuming I'm not going to prescribe like you do. Please is do. It the, is it the case that you presume that the God you believe in created this world for us? Of course. Interesting. Okay. I know so, that. But, but no, you don't. No, no, no I knowledge know. Is, oh, I know. Believe me. Knowledge is demonstrable with measurable accuracy. If you can't show it, you don't know it. All you yeah, do is so believe can, it. Can you show me gravity? Uh, you can show yourself gravity. Anyway, you back to my... No, you can't. You can only measure it. You can't, you can't see it. You can't you see a demonstration. You, you can't see a demonstration. No, you can't see a demonstration, but you can't see. You can't feel it. You can't. It's not. It's not a physical you, thing. You can't feel it. You, you can't stand feel on it. your couch and jump off your couch. You'll feel it. No, I'm not feeling it. I'm feeling my couch if I stand on my couch. Then jump off your couch and you'll feel yourself fall towards the center. Anyway, anyway, I, I want to get back to the weight. Story building? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, don't. No, I don't want any. <laughs> my microphone. I don't want any harm. Was it bad? Yeah. No. Oh, real, real staticky, Robert. I don't. I don't want any. I don't want any harm to come to him. Okay, let's go back to to the other silly thing you thought about the world being created. Okay, so we have this little tiny speck of dust, right? Just the one that we live on, um, created for us, right? Okay, um, around three quarters of the planet is covered in water we can't drink. Um, of the about quarter that's left, only about ten percent ish of that is habitable by us okay um there are massive amounts where you know that they're covered by sand right where nothing will grow etc blistering temperatures uh both in the positive and hang on just I'm, i'm getting there both in the positive and in the negative right not only that but it is demonstrably the case that more than 99 percent of every species that has ever lived on this planet is now extinct. Now, if you want to attribute that to quote unquote intelligent design, have at it. But I think I think an intelligent designer would do better. That, and everything you just described argument. there is intelligent that, that's design. That's a horrible argument, Michael. Really, you think it's a, you, you don't think that a place designed for us would be more habitable to us? Um, so just who, a, who, who hang, on, well, hang on, just just a note real quick. Um, I am going to have to leave. Would Chris or Robert like to stay and moderate? I'm uh, ready, Robert brother. Uh, let's uh, let's just close. Well, it. I, I, I don't want to shut this down. And, and also, like, I, I mean, I am loving the conversation between the Muslim atheists. Is my mic atheist. better this time? Yes, it is perfect. If, would oh, you like good. to stay in mod and keep the conversation going a little bit, Robert? Hey, hey. Uh, uh, I, I don't do very well at modding. I got nothing against Robert, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't mod Robert of the same. Don't mod me. Would you like so, me to pick a store for you, Nate? I'm a very, very naughty liberal Christian here. Oh, okay. So, Mr. Ramon, yeah. yeah, I gave you mod. If you wouldn't mind, just whenever you have to go, don't. Uh, whenever you have to go, just like click in the room. But yeah, I'm I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying the. 
hang on. I, I'm enjoying the Christians getting to take a break for a little bit, and uh, I, I would like uh, See, Michael and the Muslim to to go a little bit longer because uh, you know this is this is great. And Michael, I'm sorry to do this to you, but um, you know, take one for the team. Oh, yeah. All right, carry on, guys. So Michael, so Michael, you, you made a, a bunch of false claims. You said God will do something better. Okay, we need the ocean water. The ocean water is very important because that's where a lot of people get the food from. A lot of people get their uh, um, actually, the uh, what do you call it? The ocean water is actually very therapeutic, and it, it can be used as medicine. So all these things that you are saying, that ocean water is salty and we can't drink it, which therefore makes it bad, is actually very flawed. Okay, I that's number one. It, one second. It one second. Number two. Number two. We have humans have way more than enough land. Okay. I think you can actually feed all the humans who live today in New York. Okay. In New York City, you can fit all the human beings, the 8 billion human beings that currently live, you can fit them in New York City. So we have way more than enough land for humans to actually inhabit. Okay, so the points that you're making are very stupid, stupid points. So you're, you're, respo you're responding to points I didn't make. Um, so one, I never said that salt water was bad. But a, an e easy refutation of that is, can humans eat fish from freshwater? Yeah, thanks. Um, and also, um, the 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 habitability. Sure, sure. You could put eight billion people in New York City. Um, I think you'd probably need. Oh, I, I'm not an engineer of any kind, but I'd be really curious to see the skyscrapers you'd need for something like that. Um, and then you'd have to think about, you know, the, the fact that there would be no infrastructure whatsoever to support life like that. So be, be careful when you, when you look at somebody else and say they're making silly arguments. Okay, so there's, a, there's actually been a, uh, a study that has been made that says high salt content of the ocean causes water to constantly flow out through the fish's gills. So fish need to drink lots of seawater to stay hydrated. So the, uh, the salt water is actually very important for sea animals. Okay, so you were saying that, oh, if the ocean yeah, water... Yeah, but that's because of their adaptation through evolution. Uh, no one can prove evolution. Evolution is a theory. It's not a fact. But God is a fact. It is a fact. Uh, well, <laughs> well, show me one scientist well, that, that, that evolution that just, that theory just is a fact. your lack of understanding of how the word theory is used in scientific discourse. So, the, one second, so the evolution theory is a fact? Yes, a theory. Every, every yes. modern If you're going to define it as a theory, that fact. means it's a fact. Okay, let's look at the definition. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> false. That's false. The definition of theory. Uh, yes. Is it the, well, a in, scientific in science, theory a falls scientific under theory. the fact that it's established as a repeatable a definition of theories are supposition observational and it becomes uh, a law or a theory. Robert, that's that's what we've been talking about. So I have this pre-assumption, right? So so evolution, for example, do you believe that's a scientific fact or yes. a philosophy of science? What do you mean philosophy is science? What? So philosophy <laughs> is, is, is evolution adorable. Are you, are you able to see evolution? Yes, we see it all the time. Yes. I mean, no. COVID, the COVID no. virus has been no, evolving no, no, pretty no. nicely. 
so so micro evolution between macro evolution. There is so no distinction between micro and macro. No, They're both Robert, the same thing. You're a liar. You're a liar. No, I'm not. No, you're a liar. Ma ma macro is micro evolution, right? In long periods of time, does it? That's basically it. Exactly. Yeah. No, it, it's a philosophy of science. That's what you're talking about. It's not. Why a philosophy do we study it? Like, for example, what's the guy it, who did the uh, what's the guy who did the uh, the evolutionary germ thing over the last like 40 years? You guys know Richard the, the E. coli expert. So, so yeah, yeah. go to zoo, go to zoo. I I went from nah. pond scum well, that, to a fish. I, I will monkey, say right to what's to a name? monkey, Mister Mister Ramon or Mister Raymond. I used to have your same view. How many years ago was this now, Robert? Almost 10 years ago. I had your same view on evolution. And then I read a science textbook. And I found out that science textbooks don't use definitions like from the zoo, from the goo to the zoo to you. Those are characters of evolution. But I think if you dig a few science textbooks, you might change your position. No, the goo to the zoo to you is a is a Frank Turekism. I'm 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 talking about a certain philosophical framework when it comes to science and evolution, evolutionary biology, for example. What is evolution? So I went from. What is so evolution? I went from, so so I went from, microbacteria, right. I went from mac macrobacteria. To a fish, to a monkey, to a human. That's what I'm talking about. Nope. That is not how statistics works, can, can by the way. Yeah, it doesn't. Can you explain yeah. it to me? If you could even just define evolution, mister, that would be great. Can we just stick to, like, uh, biological evolution? Well, yeah, that, that's, yeah, like, only life evolves. So yes. if you could just define evolution... To, to demonstrate that you have an understanding of even what it is, that would be great. Let me help so, you out. Let me help you there, out. So, do you believe in, in allele frequencies and populations over time? There you go. Do you believe in biological determinism or no? Do I believe in biological? I don't even know what that is. What, what, I know what those two words mean together, but I don't, I'm not understanding the salad you've constructed. What is the scientific before. Calvinism? <laughs> What is biological determinism? What is that? I'm pretty sure that relates to whether or not you believe one's biological makeup determines their, uh, you know, other characteristics. That that's, you know. yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's what yeah, I'm saying, bro. It, it's it's equivalent to you know people use biological determinism for racial theories. You know, they'll say because a person has a certain racial makeup, their you know uh, biology lends them to act in this certain way. But there's other ways it can be applied, but. I'll ask, basic, so. I'll ask Ramon this question. What was Darwin's motivation for trying to figure out whether the evolution is valid or not? What was his ultimate motivation? 